Slice and Dice podcast number 17, or 16, or is it 15? <laughs> the first after Christmas, I You know, know what it is? It's the end of the year podcast number one. <laughs> That's an easy way of cheating your way around it, yes. Exactly. It is the end of the year podcast. It is. 2013 has ended already. The first movie I saw, it seems like it went by so fast, but then I look at the first movie that I actually saw this year was Silver Linings Playbook, and that seems like a, a lifetime ago. Well, there were so many movie releases this year, though. I, there were. And I look at, I and I've seen, um, I'm I'm down from last year because I had the, the, the dark abyss of February to, and, and March, Yeah. but I've only, I've seen 122 flicks this year. But it seems that the first, at least third of them, was just catch up from say, 2012. Were they all 2013 releases? No, okay. no, no, no. Well, Silver Lines Playbook. Because when I did my list, I, I came up with 52 that were specific to releases this year. That were movies of wide release, not yeah. little tiny, like Zero Charisma and stuff. Right. I saw that on somebody's best of list. Look, uh, look on Film School Rejects. Because um, they're all individually... Oh, no, no, maybe it wasn't that. It was Nordling. Uh, ain't it cool? Um, he, I could he put accept that somebody really thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It was... It, it, it took a whole lot of thought to make that movie. Mm. I don't necessarily agree it was that good, but... Right. It was a good movie. Yeah, you know what? Movies are subjective. Yeah, right. You know, I, I, don't have, I don't have any issue... Well, I, I kind of do, but... I don't have any issue for, for somebody who thinks After Earth was the greatest movie. I mean, that's your opinion. I think I think you need a little bit of education on what makes a I good movie. I would ask for a good justification on certainly. that Certainly. I mean, certainly when we get to our list, we will justify why. We're not just going to say, well, you know, the story is this. Does it, that make us a movie snob, though? To some degree. To some degree, yeah. But the fact to, to basically say if you have an opinion, have a reason for the opinion, I don't think makes you a snob. It just says... Well, have, no, I agree with that. To, to quote Jim Rome, have a take. Don't and, suck. All right. <laughs> and, yeah, too many people are like, oh, Adam Sandler, um, uh, Grown Ups 2 was the funniest movie ever. Well, show me that guy, and I'll show you the guy who's never seen another comedy. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, whatever. I, movies are a subjective thing. Um, I, I like to think that I give more thought to the movies I see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like to I like to break down movies. Um, you know, interpret the meaning behind some things. Unless you've got some completely pretentious piece of shit that I don't get. Whatever. If that's your thing, that's fine. I don't care. Movies are subjective. Not not everybody is going to say this is the greatest movie, this is the worst movie. That right. Kind of and that's what we try to do. Yeah, and, and I also try to, to not instantly come to reactions. Right. Because I, I think that the person who, who states their, their opinion immediately after seeing a movie, and this goes right along with your give it some time and think about it. Well, there's a lot of times I'll walk out of a movie and say that's the greatest movie I've ever seen. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a lot higher grade than maybe it deserves. Mm-hmm. And when you actually step back and start to think about it, okay, that was kind of misplayed, or this was this was done odd, and this doesn't connect with this. And a great example of that this year, and the only reason I'm bringing it up is I'll just put out now it's not on any of my list is Pacific Rim. I enjoyed the movie, oh, and I looked very forward to it. Mm-hmm. 
but in no way was it a great film. It was flawed. There was issues with character development. It's a movie that literally is a popcorn movie. And sure. if you take it at just that, it's fine. But if you want to put on some film stop glasses, which we like to do every now and then, it doesn't hold up quite as much. And certainly, certainly not. not with the amount of hype it was getting. Right. So you, you, you have to be willing to be a little more open-minded about things and really be, uh, be subjective about it. Sure. All right. Well, most of this podcast is going to be all about uh, best of, worst of, whatever, uh, of 2013 for us. We'll kick it off here with just a little bit of, not necessarily news, but something that we wanted to discuss a little bit. We do have a douche of the week, which I wasn't really going to just, we don't want to just throw out some random, oh, Justin B was a douche and stuff. We know that. There's something here I think that's a little more significant from our douche right. of the week that I think we need to cover. But first of all, we wanted to discuss this whole Christmas holiday and the movie releases surrounding it, and specifically the bombing of 47 Ronin, mm -hmm. uh, Keanu Reeves's. Uh, a directorial debut, isn't it? Or no, it, he was Man of Tai Chi, I think, was his directorial debut. Right. But he's in 47 Rowan. And, and this, if I understand the story, this is a, a one of Japan's more beloved mythologies that's mm -hmm. been turned into a movie. Mm -hmm. But you're talking, what, a $175 million film? And stop right there. How does 47 Ronin cost $175 million? Hey, and what studio executive... And, and quite frankly, I, I don't see how this isn't even a fireable offense. How does nobody, right down to the freaking guy that's cleaning the toilets at Universal, not think that's a bad idea? Yeah, and here's where it, if you, first thing is, there's nothing about this movie that screams that it should cost $175 million. Much like if you talk to Lone Ranger with his $225 million price tag, right. you're talking errors that the fact of the matter is, there's nothing about setting something that era that should have that kind of price tag nobody, attached. And nobody outside of Japan knows any damn thing about 47 right. Ronin. And I understand there's CGI effects, but CGI effects so aren't that expensive anymore. And if the, and even if they are, do you plug them into 47 Ronin? Right, not at that level. No. 175 million, and that's the conservative estimate. Mm -hmm. there, there's some estimates saying this cost over 200 mil. Right, and uh, yeah, to my understanding, 175 is just. The movie itself, nothing to do with its promotion, nothing to do with any of the trappings around it. So, let's just say 175 million. You're giving 175 million for a story that nobody outside the country of Japan a knows about nor gives a shit about. Mm -hmm. You are giving this to a Keanu Reeves starting starring vehicle, right? You are releasing this on the same day you are releasing a new Martin Scorsese film, mm -hmm. an Anchorman film, mm -hmm. and you're one week removed from The Hobbit and the David O. Russell film American Hustle. Right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you Christmas wouldn't have had day, an audience for this without all those other movies. You figure Christmas Day alone had four major releases, five you include the Beebs film. And that, to uh, me, uh, doesn't really... for 12-year-olds. Right. But you figure Grudge Match came out that day. Secret Life of Walter Mitty came out that day. That's true. Those two came um, 47 Ronin. Wolf of Wall Street. And Wolf of Wall Street. And just within the week, Anchorman 2. And Anchorman 2 was slated for that date. Then all of a sudden they moved it up and with less than a month to go to a week prior. And you have to wonder if finally somebody smartened up and said... Christmas Day is a good day, but are we putting too much on that date? 
And as a result, they've had a good take at the box office. Plus, Desolation of Smog is still hanging around out there. So people are looking for that fantasy movie. Plus, you still have Frozen. Yeah, you've got the family fair still hanging out there. It it was too cluttered a landscape to throw a $175 million movie. That $175 million movie. Right. Right, if you were to tell me, all right, if they even said it decided to put Desolation of Smog on Christmas Day, it was going to hold its own. Sure. 47 Ronin, though, to me, this is just a studio, and it's universal, so realistically... What the hell are they thinking? They, they, you're talking a studio that's been around this thing before. They should have known way better than this. I did the math, based off $175 million. Um, They, uh... They're, they're, they're targeted to take for the weekend, what, uh, 20 mil? 20 mil. Which is a lot more than I thought they would. Mm-hmm. 20 mil. So basically, out of the 47 Ronin, they're getting a return on investment on about five and a half of those Ronins. <laughs> hopefully they're the good fighting Ronins. Well, I mean, hopefully they're not built like us, the ones are in the back saying, ah, we'll be at the, the bar. And I guarantee you that everybody who wanted to see 47 Ronin has seen has 47 seen Ronin. This, right. this is not something that's going to... Rise as the other big tent no. fall. No, this no, no. This is going to fall into a This isn't going to be that movie that's going to have this weird second or third week rebirth. It's the same thing as John Carter all mm-hmm. over. It is. Now, now, I liked John Carter. I thought yeah. John Carter was a decent flick. That was a victim of very poor marketing. Right. And again, a, a very ridiculous budget. And I'll also say and, critics hurt John Carter before it came out. They mm-hmm. were lambasting the movie, mm-hmm. which doesn't help. And another another star, quote unquote, that isn't a viable Hollywood right. action star. It's nothing against Taylor Kitsch. I thought Taylor Kitsch did a fine job with yeah. the role. And I think I that he at some point, can, I think Taylor Kitsch at some point has lead person material, Maybe. but they got to find the right vehicle. They have to find something that people want to see. Don't make it be a big budget thing, but have it be something he'd be, that works. He'd be he'd be uh, served well to take over, like in a Paul Walker c- capacity in a fast. Yeah, I, I don't. Have That's it. where Taylor Kitsch. Right, is. I would agree with that. Um, but yeah, I, I I haven't seen Forty Seven Ronin. I'm not hearing anything good about it. No, you can find good reviews about John Carter. It's just that nobody. You're talking about a book that was that was. Uh, Written in the early 1910s. right? Yeah, it's over 100 years old. You're talking William S. Burroughs. Um, which I've read, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, nobody knows who the hell John Carter is. Mm. Um, 47 Ronin, again, nobody knows who it is. You put fucking Keanu Reeves, who, I'm sorry, I, I just got nothing Well, and Reeves. people are still hanging up on the fact that the Matrix... Made so much money. First thing is, the first Matrix was really the one that made the money. Sure. And it was the... I'm going to get the name. The Wachowskis. Is, is that how they pronounce? Wachowskis. Wachowskis. Yeah, how do they pronounce their names? Pronunciation ain't my strong point today. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, the first one did, and it was more of a word-of-mouth film still. Yeah. Because it, nothing like that had been done before. Right. But come the second movie, you already felt tired of the whole thing. And the third one felt exhausted. Sure. It had nothing to do with Keanu. Right. And then you look, I mean, you look at Keanu. I, I liked Bill and Ted, but Keanu's always been that character to me. 
in everything he's done. He's still just got the, oh, dude, you know, that. Yeah. He's, it's Keanu. Right. It, 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 everything about his personality betray, uh, portrays that role. So. But, you know what? I thought the same thing of Ben Affleck back in the day. Maybe Keanu will finally find a vehicle somewhere that he breaks out of that. And, and fine, but studios have to be a little more careful than throwing 175 mil at it. Agreed. Did we have something else we were going to discuss besides, like, more news-related? I don't remember. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. Let's just I think we're going to go into the douche. Yeah, let's just jump right into the douche. Um, and this week's douche is a little bit different than the just normal scouring the net for, for some douchey activity. This one here is about Shia LaBeouf, who, who I know takes a lot of heat for his, I don't know, acting abilities or stuff like that. I've never, I've never really had a big issue with Labouf. I don't, I, I don't, I don't really swing one way or the other with Labouf. Hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty much ready to just, just write him off completely for this kind of crap. He has admitted, well, he was accused of plagiarizing somebody else's work in one of his short films and a comic book he created. Um, basically just lifted the material from other sources and called it his own and put it out there. That's about as douchey as you can fucking get, especially when you're in, in an industry that you are, are making your bank off of creating these things. Right. It's theft, pure and simple theft. And I think creative theft is sometimes worse than just stealing a fucking sweater from a department store. Well, and and there's a, a certain amount of arrogance factor that comes into play with it. Exactly. And, and why I and why I said that was it's like you know what you stole you stole something from a store. Okay, maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're cold. Maybe there's an end game to this. It doesn't make it right. Mm. I, I still think you're a douchebag if you steal. But this here, yeah, the, stealing somebody else's creativity to call it your own. In, in my mind, it's just, it's, it's bullshit. And bluntly, Shia doesn't need to make his nut any more than he already has. Shia's got money. He's mm -hmm. been in the, the, you figure he's been in the three Transformers films. He, he's been in Indiana Jones, the, the Crystal Skull thing, as arguably the worst out of character ever. But, right. but still, the, you know, we're talking movies that have made money, and he does the, all I can think of here is he was trying to make himself look good by finding a work that sounded fine and figuring it was a small enough person but who would know it. Well, all right. He did a short film. He did a comic book, uh, plagiarizing Dan Close, one of the one of the top comic creators out there. And it, it, to me, again, this comes down to an arrogance thing. It's just someone that figures that they're on top. Who the hell can tell them no? Well, then, the, then the plot thickens because. His apologies via Twitter, which, I'm sorry, apologies via Twitter is bullshit. I get it, that's fine, but it's an easy way to hide out and make your apology. Sure. Um, but apparently his apology statements were plagiarized comments from I, other I people. Heard, and I, I heard basically he'd almost used like the Yahoo apology lists yeah. of how to write an apology and copy-paste it from those. It's, so th this guy has basically become this weird train wreck that no one discusses how much of a train wreck he's become. You figure he spends his time getting into fucking drunken brawls in Canada. I don't know how many of these times he's picked fights. You know what? His it's ass little beaten. man syndrome. It is. It's little, it's little man who got a whole lot of success yeah. too early and hasn't been able to handle it. Right. 
and and unfortunately, well, fortunately for the world, we got people who are not willing to take the bullshit from them. They're not letting him become a Bieber. They're standing up to him right now. And I love I would, the fact that he's going to have to answer for these plagiarism claims. I hope they do bring the the uh, the legal. I, I hope I so too. They're, they're thinking about it. They're talking about it. I hope they do. I hope they rake him across fucking coals. I hope the guy never fucking sets foot in Hollywood again. Right. He doesn't deserve to. No, there's little worse to me than the fucking thief. Thieves and vandals to me are about the two worst things you can ever come up with. Mm-hmm. And, and when you have somebody who's at his caliber stealing from somebody else, I just don't understand it. Again, short of arrogance. And no, arrogance no, 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 to no, me is no excuse arrogance, for anything. Arrogance to me is just is is such a quality in people that is so... Just deserves to be throat punched. Right. Like, who the fuck are you? Mm-hmm. Can't stand it. Shia LaBeouf, douche of the week. week. All right. We'll, uh, we'll pause here real quick, get some freshies, <laughs> and do a quick uh, what we watched that doesn't uh, cross over into our uh, top of. Right. Come on, Annie. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife, bigger than life. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to That chick in the uh, dude, I know that movie's old, but that chick that was like uh, in Little Orphan Annie, she was hot, dude. The, the chick that like you're not talking no, Annie, right? No, no. <laughs> God, the chick who takes Annie to the movies. She was good looking. I, I would have to revisit that one. Because yeah. the Little Orphan I, Annie... I don't see you doing that real soon. No. The Little Orphan Man, Annie movie that sticks out in my head was the 19... Was it early 80s one? Yeah, that was the one. Was, was that uh, the same Albert Finney was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the same God, one. I was thinking that was from the 1950s, 40s version of Black and White. How old do you think Albert Finney is, dude? No, I didn't really... Oh, that, you thought that Albert clip. Finney's you, not in that clip. You, you thought the clip. Okay. Right. No, that's the '80s flick. The only one I remember from the '80s, the only song I really remember from the '80s flick, because that's a hard, it's a hard, not yeah. life for us, which is uh, admittedly has the best lines ever. Yeah. Because the one they, that Carol Burnett is Miss Hannigan. And does the song not talk about her beating the kids? They talk about getting whipped, getting kicked. Maybe. <laughs> go back and read the lyrics. The hard knock life. Uh-huh. Now, granted, there's certain a little bit of embellishment of certain, but. Maybe. It was a different different time in the 80s. Yeah, I know my parents had no issue if a teacher had ever laid me down and backed me up. My sixth grade teacher had a a Chester Dulac, Mm -hmm. by the way. That's a great name. name Chester Dulac. He looked a lot like... Chester of the Lake. He looked a lot like Andy Kaufman, which is just (laughs) awesome, as Lodka Granite. I uh, had a big old freaking paddle. Never, I never got wet. I was a good kid. I did. Oh yeah, because you knew what was coming if you well, did. Yeah, fuck. But there was many times I heard ki- uh, a, a, a kid who got on the line who went out into the hall, yeah. snap, came I, I, in, came in holding his ass with a tear coming down. And his you know cheek. what? Those days that they, they need to come back. Fucking ran man. much better. I don't remember anybody walking into a school with a gun back in fuck those days. Fuck no. Because you're afraid of the get teachers. Them in, get them in yep. line. 
You're afraid of, you know, afraid of the teachers, or maybe just well, it was respectful a, well, of right. the teachers. It was a respectful fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were your elders. They mm-hmm. controlled the situation, period. Yeah. That's a fear, but it's a respect fear. It's a different thing. Bring back some fucking discipline. Yep. Anyway, what we watched. Now, the, the movies we're going to discuss here, we got a few of them, are going to be movies that don't show up on our top ten lists of the year. Of any of the lists. I... No. No. Nope. They don't. Not for me. No, mine don't either. Okay. Um, so we can, we can talk freely about that because I wanted to dedicate all of the top ten stuff to just that stuff. Right. Because we have seen fresh pot discussions over these That will movies. show up on the top ten list. Right. All right. So you, have, you haven't won more than me, so go ahead and, and roll with it. This won't be a long discussion, but I, I finally decided to sit down and watch The Lone Ranger. Hold it right there. I'm afraid I have to take you in. You hear, you hear me? You speak English, don't you? By the authority granted me by the state of Texas, I'm hereby. Arresting you! You alright there, little brother? Fine. Just taking this man into custody. Uh huh. I will say this. Again, after watching the movie, $225 million seems extreme. Is that what that one was? That was $225 million. Um, but I will also go a little further and say. I think the critics are being a little harder on the movie, a la John Carter, than they need to be. Is it a good movie? No. It's not a good movie. But there is a scene that goes on for literally the last hour around the train. And this is clearly where the expense comes from. And it is arguably one of the better special effects filled scenes I have seen in a long time in movies. The, the, the tree, the final hour of Lone Ranger is basically worth the price of the rental. Not a movie ticket, a red box buck, you won't be, you won't be sorry. The downside with the Lone Ranger is what my fear was. They cast Johnny Depp as Tonto and it's a movie about Tonto. Very little of this is about the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger is about Tonto. Yes. Right. And Army Hammer is... I can't say he's an ineffective Lone Ranger. He isn't given much here. It's Tonto's fucking movie. It's literally even told by Tonto as some kid goes to some museum and here's some... What he thinks is a statue of an Indian on some American Indian diorama thing that all of a sudden it's some old horrible makeup job, Johnny Depp turns and starts talking to him and gives him the whole tale of the Lone Ranger. Um, it, I, there's, there's some admirable attempts at trying to bring this, this classic to life for a new generation. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but they really haven't given you that much to go on here. It, 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 again, for the most part, all you're given is a story about Tonto, who appears to spend way too much time on peyote, talking to Silver, getting into arguments with Silver, and then there's the big train scene. It, it really 
if you watch it for just that, you could get a whole lot of enjoyment. The problem is the two and a half hour time investment, two and three quarter hours, feels long. And literally this train scene is the end of it. It was one of those movies as I was watching it, I found myself spending as much time on the internet trying to find something else for filler because I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, well, that's and that's the thing about the Lone Ranger in it it's, itself. It, it's it's, it's, it's dated. Your, it's your father's right. character. The, it's your grandfather's character. You and I have both discussed how we find westerns fascinating, but the Lone Ranger is not western as such. It 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 is a western superhero, but it's a different type of superhero, and it's the kind of superhero I don't know translates to superhero as we know it now, mm-hmm. and as a result. I don't necessarily think that the world will ever want another Lone Ranger film. Plus, there's been so many stabs at the Lone Ranger. You're better off just finding one of the original works. If you're interested in going from there, don't bother with this. It's not horrible, but again, it's a long-time investment. If you watch it solely for the final train thing, eh, it's all right. I'd give it a two out of five. Mm, Okay. Like I say, I didn't hate it. It, and certainly, like I say, it plays out almost like... I, I think the critics have destroyed it a little more at, if they'd at least give it credit for some of what they did do right. Yeah. They didn't want to. They spent too much time lambasting it before they even saw it. Right. So. so, next flick we both saw. We finally caught up with Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's directorial debut, Don John. Yes. Originally called Don John's Addiction... They pulled it back to Don John. Um, Addiction's a tough word to have on a movie title and sell it. Even though with this movie, I think it would have been better served. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. It's a short flick. You know, take away the credits, and it's probably only about 85, 86 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is to its detriment in that you basically have zero character development in this flick. Nothing whatsoever. All I know is that Italian families fight. Right. Dad, I would like you to meet Barbara. Baby's my dad. Hi, Mr. Natello. Hey, good to meet you. Jesus. John. Right. Oh, I, I wasn't expecting such a lovely lady, that's all. Oh, thank you. So nice to finally meet you both. My pleasure, my pleasure. Well, please sit down and uh, I will be right back. Can I help you with anything at all? Oh, I love her already. Yes, please, yeah. sweetie. Let me take that back. Yeah, that Johnny boy. She's cute, right? Are you fucking kidding me? You didn't tell me you were bringing home a piece of ass like that. I told you she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you call me, but I mean, Jesus Christ, those tits, they're real? Yeah, they're real. Um, nobody in this flick is particularly likable. Likable? Nothing. Other than Brie Larson's character, who has two lines, in which you didn't, if you couldn't have seen that coming a mile away, the way the lines are going to be delivered, really, you've never watched a movie in your life. Right. Everybody else was worthless. I I didn't mind, yeah. Even Julianne Moore's character. I'm looking at it going, she's no better. Basically, you have Joseph Gordon-Levitt, this Italian stallion dude who is uh, basically addicted to porn, has convinced himself that that real life sexual situations can't live up to the excitement you get off of porn off the internet 
because the chicks are hotter in porn, the chicks are, are into more freaky shit, mm-hmm. and they're... Now, you're talking about a dude who has bagged Scarlett Johansson in about as hot of a Scarlett Johansson as you can get. That's better than porn. Every <laughs> night they show him, and the reason they call him Don John is a play on Don Juan, because every night they, the, he and his two buddies go out to a club, and he every night ends up taking one of the hottest girls back, and it plays out the same way. They get a cab, they go to his place, he bangs them when they go to sleep. He goes and gets on porn, rubs one out, finds it to be better, goes back to bed, then kicks them out in the morning. Right. And that's it. And that plays out for 80 minutes. In the middle of that, he meets Scarlett Johansson, who is supposedly the chick that's going to... Well, she busts him because he goes through his routine. Mm-hmm. She busts him, and he decides that, oh, well, this, this could be the one... I really, really like her, so I'll give up the porn for her. But it, it, it never goes anywhere at that point. Mm. It, it's really, you just find out that she's a a needy, controlling bitch. And well, she's she's is the quote-unquote stereotype of the shallow Italian New yes. Jersey rich girl. She, God forbid, the, the, there was the scene where he's talking about going and buying a, a Swiffer. And she flips out on him right. because hot, no guy, does, you get a fucking house cleaner. Nobody does their own floors. It's beneath her. Yeah. And he, she wouldn't even be caught dead with him if he right. went and bought a Swiffer head. for. A, and he said, well, I like doing it myself. No. It, it, she's got this image of what the perfect situation must be. And all of it spoiled little rich But bitch. all of this stuff comes on just like that. There's no, there's no, there's no point A to point B. No, no. It's just characters. thrown out at you. Then he shows up at church and he does his hail marys and he com- and he confesses to the priest about about uh, uh, the uh, we- out of wedlock sex and this stuff. He out of wedlock porn. sex, how many times he watched porn? How many yeah. times he masturbated that yeah, way? Yeah, do ten hail marys and go and whatever. It it, it just it, it's just this cycle of of this dude's life and and none of these characters go anywhere with it. And and when you you get the introduction of Julianne Moore's character and again. It's because he's in school, because Scarlett Johansson said you need to make something yourself, right. get your college Which, degree. It's not necessarily... The advice isn't bad, the reasoning for it is the problem. But right. they don't do enough with that either. Right. Is that he's still trying to better himself. The only one who even explains that is his black friend, who I can't remember, says, well, you're this far in school, you got three weeks left, so you're going to finish or what? And that's the part of this is, oh, I may as well. But the Julianne Moore character is introduced like she's supposed to be this level-headed thing. But again, it becomes this almost like slam against porn because she trashes porn the whole time. She gives him this 1970 film that because she signed off on it, it's okay for him to watch. However, she asks him if he's watched any more because that's a problem to her. Then they cut to a scene where he goes to her place and she says, take a bath. I'll get your towel. Mm-hmm. He goes in and waits. And after about half an hour, he comes out. You know a warning sign is if the girl you're interested in is sitting in a dark room crying, smoking a joint. This girl is no more sane than the last girl that you dumped. And right. that's my problem is, 
not only do they do a poor job of developing characters, we're supposed right. to feel happy for him with Julianne Moore, right. and I would contend she's more fucked up than the one he was with to begin with. Sure. This is a person you know who needs counseling. With Scarlet. Right. This is a girl who flat needs counseling. Scarlet is the same thing that your parents were. Right. And that's where I thought they were going was, you need to break the cycle. Right. But instead he's breaking the cycle with somebody who can't get past the fact, I get it. Something horrible happened to Julianne Moore's husband and child. Fine. But she needs to deal with it. Instead, he's saddled with dealing with it. And this they, makes no sense. Did they ugly up Julianne Moore in this? I thought she looked horrible. I thought dude. she looked horrible, too. And I think Julianne Moore is an attractive lady. I, I literally looked at Sue when we were watching like, it and said, Whoa, did, did she start aging badly? Because that is completely against type of what the whole character of Don John would have gone it for in the It made no sense. Yeah, not at all. The, it, it, and uh, for the most part, that's... This movie, it just started feeling like none of it made any sense. I thought it was going to be some big commentary on how sad, as a statement about the Italian-American New Jersey upbringing, how it's so body conscious and money conscious, when really it's about making yourself better. And in the end, it didn't mean anything it it wasn't the only thing you get out of this movie is maybe it was was a statement against porn but i don't even think they did that that. right because they didn't give the third idea that you know most guys do watch porn at least once a week the average guy's gonna fire up porn doesn't mean that there's any issue with it they watch porn every now and then there's nothing wrong with it they're not he was what 11 times a day all right that's a problem (laughs) there's a problem (laughs) and julian moore's right there there is some middle ground, and there was no middle ground at all in this movie. It just seemed like they were trying to give something edgy that at no point had a point. I agree. I agree 100%. Two out of five. Yeah, I can go 1.5 out of five. At best, yeah. I was so bummed at the end of this movie. Yeah, I give it two out of five just because Scarlett's hot. <laughs> she was, but I found myself hating until her so she, badly. Well, until she threw out that Jersey accent. In the chewing the gum constantly, and uh, but she did stick her butt out, butt out awful nicely mm. when she was walking in that yeah, outfit, dude. Going into the church, I'm looking at it going. She looked good, but there was that creepy scene where Tony Danza started has her bend over to pick something up, and he's rubbing her back. Going, oh, in the tits, are they real? It's like, whoa, creepy man. It's just like the Elton John song, <laughs> "Hold Me Closer," Tony Danza. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on, we both saw Anchorman 2. We did. The legend continues. Yes. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I did. I don't think it was as good as the first one. It wasn't. Because I don't think that you can make that lightning bolt strike twice. No, it, I've always contended. Anchorman 1 was lightning in a bottle. It's one of those movies that the more you watch it, I swear, it's funnier and funnier. And it's because it's ad-libbed. And right. at, even the best at improv people, there are times when they have their off days. And it seems like when they did Anchorman 1, they had no off days. Even the outtakes are funny as shit in that movie. Mm-hmm. And Anchorman 2, is, it, it's bringing the same cast back. They had a few added cast members, which worked fine. And the movie is funny, and it certainly didn't bum me out that they made a sequel. That was my fear, is are they going to destroy and blemish the image of the first? I don't think they did. I just no. don't think you could ever make the first one again. 
No, for me it got a little bit, it got a little cheesy towards the end. I mean, even beyond Anchorman level cheesy with with the kid and the blindness and the out in the even shark. Even though I, I, the shark thing, I know, was, I do think the scenes where she's talking about him smelling something. Are you forgetting I'm blind? That's yeah. Anchorman, that's Burgundy. I did get tired, though, of the, the, instead of the Odin's beard, the by the vagina of Olivia Newton-John. And yeah. look, you only said it three or four times in the right. first movie. It was funny. Every five to six minutes in this movie, it was getting really old. Yeah. I, I loved the battle in Central Park scene. Even with the douchebags they had as the cameos. I, and admittedly, in the write-up, I started saying this one particular, particular cameo who you know I I was so angry that they had him in it. It was either Kanye, Jim yeah. or, or uh, Will Jim Carrey actually didn't mind, because that was funny that he rec- represented the CBC. <laughs> and, and, and how hoity-toity the Canadian Broadcasting Company would be. Um, and I love Tina Fey and uh, Amy, they were was it Amy Polar. Yeah. As, well, they, they were from, was it, inter- not Entertainment Week. It was Something. It but it was one of those. Station, right. It's just like, oh, I'm getting so horny yeah. right now. <laughs> Dude, I love to see your family pulling together. And I didn't even mind Kirsten Dunst being <laughs> the angel of war, blowing the horn for the battle. But it, it's still though, it's still using the same joke that you saw in the uh, first yeah, one. Absolutely, it was very repetitive. And and rolling, I almost wish they hadn't rolled Vince Vaughn out at that point because you're like the Vince Vaughn thing didn't work much. Didn't no. work for me. No, and, and they could even say, well, it's Vince Vaughn making his piece. But if you want it, even though it's a comedy, he still did that at the end of the first movie. Right. With the, I don't like him, but I respect the man, or whatever. Right. Kiss him on the forehead and helps him up in the bear pit. Right. And I mean, there were a few too many times where they kept going back to that same, well, Baxter, who seems to communicate with every animal. <laughs> <laughs> even though I love the inclusion of Baxter again. But yeah, yeah. Um, what works to me worked funny enough. Yeah. And I, I found myself enjoying the movie, uh, but it, it's it's still just an Anchorman movie, um, and it's not the first. A lot of Brick, which is good, because Brick is awesome. Well, and again, it's not about Fantana. It's not about, uh, about Champ. Champ. No. It, it, and again, Ketchner's got one character he right. plays. Right. I don't find Ketchner funny, but either. Champ kind is Ketchner, so that's right. what he is. Um, I, I, I did enjoy that there was a lot of Brick in this. I did like that they, they hooked him up with a female version Kristen of Brick, Wig. Kristen Wiig. I thought that we needed a lot more of her in, I that, agree. in that thing. She was brutally underused. I agree. Considering the only scenes that they had her were just with him walking on. And they were all 30 to 40 second scenes. Other than really the first one. Right. After that, it was just real quick one-offs. Right. Um, but yeah, top to bottom, I, I got enough out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was funny enough. There, there were, like I said, it did. It did seem to like get caught up in the cheesiness a little bit. Too and much. I was ready for it to end when it ended. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. For me, it was about a three out of five. I know you gave it. A I go three out of five out of five. But again, I give it a little nod because they didn't destroy the legacy as much as I, I know that throwing that word around here for a comedy, but still. It, it's one of those characters that people have gotten so they love. So right. there is a legacy. And I, I, I don't think we need another. And I do not disagree. End it there. I agree. It's good. And we don't need a we don't need a brick in Kristen Wiig spinoff. Either. Oh God, no! That would be horrible. Um, they couldn't do a whole movie around that. No. 
Don't think they won't try. Oh, of course they would. There's money to be had here. Sure. Um, all right, let's uh, let's break again real quick and let's get into some of the uh, tops top lists of 2013. All right. <laughs> Um, in my opinion, a really solid year for flicks, an exceptional year for television. This was a tough. It was tough to whittle down to. I I, I, mean, I kept thinking I want to write to Steve and say, do we need to expand this to ten? Well, but, I almost think we did because I've left out a couple of shows. I think that that are are worthy of discussion. That I did I like. And we're going to start out with our top uh, our top five television episodes of the year. Mm-hmm. And I feel almost dirty that I don't have, like, Orange is the New Black on Which my list. I'm including it, though, so good. it's going to get good. Because uh, I don't have The Walking Dead. I have one from there. I don't have The but, Americans but, but, on here. I don't have Bates know, Motel. <laughs> and Bates Motel. I don't have American Horror Story on here. Yeah. I, there are things, there's such good shit out there. You know, in the 90s, and I would even say in the mid-2000s, we had arguably a dark age of TV, where it was just shit. It was basically... It was driven by the networks. Totally. That, and at that point, the cable networks hadn't stepped up. There were some decent shows on HBO and stuff. Arliss, in its early run, was a great show. Mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt was, was a decent show. Dream On doesn't get the credit it deserves. Um, Gary, uh, The Larry Sanders Show was right. a great show. But it still was seen as something different. Right. Now there's so many outlets. They're really trying. Oh, so many options. Yep. They're putting the effort in. Yep. And it's making it tough. And now you throw in Netflix into the mix. Yeah. And, and wow. It's, it's a great time to be a TV fan. Yeah, it is. There's such good shit out there. Anyway, so we'll, we'll quickly... Discuss our top five TV episodes of the year. Now, TV is different in that a season that may have started in 2012 and bled into 2013, as long as you saw it in 2013, as long as it premiered in 2013, it's fair game. Right. Um, at least that's how I did my list. So I'll go ahead. That, and... that doesn't even come into play on mine anyway. So okay. Well, it does for me for flex. Okay. But. TV shows is a different animal because you always sort of cross. Yep. My number five, um, actually, I, didn't, I don't think I ever ranked them, but uh, my number five is Game of Thrones. I, I know we're going to cross over here. Mm-hmm. Episode nine, The Reigns of Castamere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we are going to discuss spoilers on all this stuff, so be forewarned. Um, it's basically The Red Wedding, which I knew was coming up uh, because I had read the book. I know you hadn't, so you had no idea what was coming I up. I knew of a Red Wedding, but um, I and I've been, I kept waiting it, for something good or bad that was going to be It still, man, not only did it manage to, to capture the tone of the book, it, it surprised me even, even more so in how they pulled it off. And I don't know if this is even on your list. 
Number four. Well, okay, at least, at least I didn't rape your No, actually, one. it's not. Oh, no? Oh! All right. Well, you can still, still feel I, I, free to discuss freely. Um, your thoughts as somebody who didn't know what to expect? Here's what I love about the Reigns of Castamere episode is, it's one of those episodes, the first time you watch it, not knowing what to expect. It was out and out shocking. What blows me away is how the off-network shows have realized, even though it may anger fans, Mm -hmm. killing major characters, not necessarily a bad thing. It keeps people into the show. It keeps them guessing. And nerd boy likes stuff to discuss. They like to really break down whether or not that makes any sense. And, and that the, even and that even works even more to the benefit from from something that is, I don't know, not from an original source material. Mm-hmm. Now, now Game of Thrones. If you've read the book, you knew this was coming, right? I know something that's coming next year that no, that you don't know. That's huge. But. There are, if they'd done this 10 years ago, there's no way they would have followed the book like that because it would have been death. They would have killed the show right off and killed those characters off. There was too much investment. Yeah. I mean, you're talking, taking the family, the Stark family, which everybody on the first season thought this is going to be a series about Ned Stark. Right. Uh, By the end of first season, no, it's going to be a series about Rob Stark getting revenge. Clearly not now. Right. And and the thing is, it's gutsy, it's ballsy, it's water cooler talk inducing. Right. And that was what the Reigns of Casimir episode is. It is arguably the biggest water cooler talk I've seen from TV in five years. Certainly. And that is great TV. Certainly. Yeah. And, and that, was, that falls at my number five. Mm-hmm. It was on your list as what, number two? It's number two. So when it comes up, I'll say, Reigns of Casimir. All right. Well, I'll let you go ahead here with your number five, and maybe you can rape one of mine. It, it is not. We've already discussed that. Orange is the New Black. Oh, all right. The Whack Pack episode. And and I'd struggle with this, because originally I was going to go with the finale. But the Whack Pack episode's interesting, and this is right around the middle of the season, where for me, Orange is the New Black was starting to hit its stride. But this is the episode... When it was finding the girls to be on the little ruling body team. And it got into the house. Stereotypes exist in all peoples. There aren't many shows that are willing to say, you know what? They exist. Political correctness be damned. It's going to exist in all races. It's not just the white devil that has stereotypes. They hit it head on. And some of the stereotypes are funny as shit. If I remember right, there was the Latino girls talking about the black people not being able to swim and stuff like that. It's funny. And this is the way you need to address racial stereotype. Orange is the New Black gets it. Why the politically correct crowd don't, I don't know. Because they're also watching the show. But they're not absorbing it. The Whack Pack is just one little piece of how brilliant Orange is the New Black is. It's such a brilliantly written show. They've done such a great job of showing people of all races, showing them in a different light and saying, you know what? Embrace your stereotype. Let's destroy what is incorrect. Let's embrace what's right and let's move on. And that's where the Whack Pack to me really worked well. I I agree. Orange is the New Black is is one of the best new shows on television, if not the best new show on television. And for those those exact reasons, I I probably, 
the, the finale just is, I had to cut something out of a mm-hmm. top five. For me, it was it was about how how Piper, how just this being in this environment changed her from this good girl to what we may find out is a murderer. Right. We don't know. Yeah, the final episode was called some like the tall man yeah. watchers or something. Yeah. And that's what it was. Right? Uh, was it Hurley or whatever his name yeah. was standing Steve there Lord. and standing there watching the uh, Pensatucky or whatever her yeah. name is right. coming out and instead of helping Piper turning around and going inside. It's but, such a good show. Yeah, it, it's, it is. Such and if awesome people show. haven't started watching it, if you have Netflix... And let's give props to Netflix because a year ago they were all but dead, and right now they're fucking solid again. And it's they've done the right things. Yeah. They've started rolling new stuff out for people, bringing newer movies on faster, giving the independent films an earlier release instead of making you stick to VOD and doing their own programming and putting some effort into it. So I'll give props. Or last year I lambasted them. This year I'll say Netflix has had a hell of a rebound. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, my number four is not going to rape you because you said you didn't have anything from The Walking Dead. I do not. Uh, I, I threw uh, the episode um, number six of, the, and of course, this season's still ongoing, Live Bait, which was the uh, the, the governor centric episode. Yes. Um, <clears throat> which I had read Kirkman's novel, The Rise of the Governor, and this. Loosely follows along with that. They're, they're, they, they change a few things up, but it was great to see. And David Morrissey plays the governor so awesome. Yes, he does. I, I, I love love the character. Love the role. It's a character you love to hate. You want to see this guy. You want to see bad things. But what Live Bait did was humanized, essentially the devil. Showed you what this guy was before, and what all these people were before all this happened. You know, this guy was just just a guy with a wife and a daughter, and when he stumbles across these people who sort of give him some of that humanity back, it sort of I don't know. Even even earlier last season with the whole Penny thing, it's sort it's sort of like they they have made a character who you want to see end horribly, but in the same regard, you sort of have a soft spot for. You sympathize with them because there has to be that part of you that says, if society as we knew it fully broke down, everybody would have to change themselves a little to survive. And what would you do? Right. Honestly, what what links would you go to to protect your family, to protect those that you cared about the most? And, and that's the thing with the governor is it, it's he his keeping Penny had nothing to do with the fact that it was like how to explain Penny and his, Penny was his daughter, but he there was that part of him that just couldn't let go. Sure. And Michonne to him then was a murderer. Not that he didn't know he lost Penny, and clearly he'd hoped that they were going to find a cure. But the fact of the matter is Michonne took any chance of that away from him. Herschel, earlier on, had had kind of the same little piece. But it was done differently, because we had Sophia in the middle of it. All of a sudden, Penny, by herself, this is a different animal entirely. And it allowed you to sympathize with the governor that little bit, that... 
at his core, could you honestly say that if you were put in the same situation, you couldn't you become what he had become? Yeah. I think the average person could. Sure. People. At what point do you think, are we not better off just killing those 10 people, taking everything they've got, so we survive? There's no more people producing food. Right. We're not, we can't trust anything you're raising here. You need to take everything you can. Mm-hmm. And that's what the governor is, is that one little piece of you in the back of your mind says, I could be the governor. As much as I hate him, I could be him. And that's where Morrissey has nailed it. Right. He is that person saying, you know what? You hate me, but you could be me. Right, and that's what I loved about those. Actually, there was two episodes. And, and you just the reason I he, these didn't land on here is because they are these in my mind. I couldn't pick two, right. and I couldn't pick which one I preferred, so I cut. I had to eliminate both because I saw them as one and the same. Right. So your number four. My number four. I know. I know one's gonna gonna rate me here. My number four. This one might. I don't know. Spartacus wore the damned victory. Yep. Uh. Which was my number two. For a series that, again, the ninjas have been on board for a long time promoting the fuck out of the show. And people had caught up. There were people that were watching this religiously. When you got past the Caligula-esque trappings, you had a very well done show. And certainly, the War of the Damned season was some of the best written that they'd had. The Victory episode did everything right including not necessarily giving happy endings. Happy ending would not have worked with Spartacus at all. Right. And you got anything but. But the fact of the matter is what you got was satisfying. It was satisfying on all levels, including for Spartacus. If you go back to where he bega- where the entire series began, it worked. This year, to me, could go down as one of those years where season finales got it right, except for what? And, or series finales, I should say. And Spartacus certainly is right up there. What Spartacus gave in the victory episode was nothing short of perfect, as far as I was concerned. I I could argue that the entire season was perfect. And I don't know that there was a throwaway episode in in the full run of this, of the... Of the series. Yeah. It only went three and a half, technically. That half came as just sort of a, here's a bone to chew on. it's interesting. If you look at IMDb, they always don't include that. Right. That one scene is separate. And those six episodes were brilliant. They were. Every episode, 36, 38 episodes of Spartacus, was was just engaging and awesome on every level. There, there There was nothing... Weak about this series at any point. And I also want to say props, as much as it bummed me to see the show go, for going out on a high note. Mm. Because they're right. What more could you have done? You'd introduce Caesar to this. You can't go any further than that. So, end it now. Go out on a high note. Have everyone know you put the best fucking effort out there. You gave a great series. One, I've rewatched almost every episode of of this series. And it holds up. You can't get any better TV than that. Right. No, I agree. That was my number two. Um, my number three, uh, another another show who was, who was late in its run, but I feel like was one of the best seasons. You and I are going to get the same thing. Uh, best seasons here. Oh, we may not have the same episode. And of course, I'm talking about Sons of Anarchy. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the episode was episode 11, oh, oh. Uh, And Rude Persanta. 
which was um, essentially the the death of Clay. Right. Um, and just everything leading up to that episode was brilliant. And, and even watching that episode, it was it was slow going early on, but eventually you know something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You just don't know what. And the tension builds and the tension builds. And to the point where when Jax finally walks into that room and just capped Galen, it was it was just like, holy shit, is this really going down? Yeah. And you talk about a series that is just rooted in anti-heroes. There's no reason you should be rooting for any of these people. Other than Bobby Elvis, there's nobody out there. Oh, and, and even him. Yeah, You're he, not he's... supposed to be rooting for people like this. Right, but at least Bobby wants to see them try to move in the right direction. Well, you could say Jax does too. <laughs> but but these guys' hands yeah. are so dirty at this point that <coughs> you can't justify any of that stuff. Um, and, and just the fact that it, one of the most hated guys in this series for me was Galen O'Shea. To oh, see yeah. him just get his head blown, and he kept slipping through people's fingers every time he turned around, was so rewarding to me. Right. It was it was it was more rewarding to me to see him get off than it was Clay. Mm-hmm. Because um, Clay at the end was just was just a sad character of 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 the show. He was just that's just an old dude who knows that his time has come that that he's done all this bad shit, and I think he wants to die as much as as. Oh yeah, he wants to go out with some honor, and unfortunately with this group, that is the honorable death. Right, a bullet, done. Mm-hmm. Don't make it something long drawn out. Take me down and do it. Right. And and it, it was something that furthered the club. And, it, and let's be honest, there's something to that too. Yep. Clay's death furthered the club's standing because Clay that way looked like they took Galen down. Right. So it, or he took him down. So it it worked perfectly to help the club, which in the end is all Clay would have wanted. Right. It was yeah, that was a, a fantastic. Episode. Was that your number three? Right series, different episode. Uh, and, and I struggle with this one because it was a toss-up between two. That one, but I went with A Mother's Work, the season mm-hmm. finale. Mm-hmm. And, and and the reason being is they took care of the issue that had been hanging out there, and that was Tara. As much as I loved her character early on, it had become a fucking annoyance. I hated her. An sure. absolute annoyance. And they also had to do something with Gemma because I know people love Gemma. I love Gemma. But Gemma is dirtier than most of the people in the club. And there has to be something to deal with, uh, something around Gemma at some point. They had to have it come to a head. And they finally, finally did. And it's going to be interesting to get on the final season to see how this plays out. We now have Tara removed from the system completely, uh, from from the series completely. We have Gemma who appears to have done it. However... She's gone. We have Jax, who's been found with holding Tara's body with the dead cop on the middle of the floor. We have so many things hanging out there. We have CCH Pounder as the one who finds him. As much as I don't like her character, I love her. Mm-hmm. And and it, what's we've discussed this before that her character is fascinating. And as much as 
We're supposed to like her. She's the one standing up for what we would want stood up for. Right. It's that we're following anti-heroes. That's the, that's the trick with following an anti-hero at a TV show. And I want to apologize right now for sounding like Froggy from The Little Rascals. Because <laughs> it just hit me that right now I'm sounding worse than I have all episode. But CCH Pounder has, has so embraced the acting job here. And I, I, I love what she's putting into it. I think that this season should go down for Sons as one of the best seasons, especially of the latest ones. And clearly they're doing what you and I have said. Last season, I think that we had too many things that were hanging out there as loose ends. They're starting to tie them up. Next season's the finale. It looks like Sutter's heading in a great direction. This series, season finale, gave me hope that what we're going to get next season is just going to be off the rails, can't miss TV. And that's all I could ever wish for, for a season finale. And and again, removing Tara and having Gemma finally go too far was what it it took for me to give this one the number three rank. Nice. Uh, Since we both discovered our number twos, (laughs) I suspect we're going to end up in the same show. I don't know if we're going to end up in the same episode. Yeah, I don't think so, but... Same show. So. Same show. Same show, yes. Uh, my number one certainly comes from Breaking Bad. Um, I would have put the finale there, uh, but I didn't. And that that whole machine gun coming out of the trunk thing just sticking with me is... is ah, Which is on. funny, because that is my number one. Uh, and I figured it was. Mine was uh, Confessions, which was episode 11, which was the one where Walt... Is just this master of getting the upper hand. And when Hank finds out, when Hank has got Walt cornered, and all of a sudden Hank and Skylar show up and lay a DVD or, or whatever in front of Hank, pretty much pinning him, the entire Heisenberg Empire, on him, and the slack-jawed look <laughs> that Hank has while he's watching this, like, son of a bitch. Yeah. That was fucking brilliant to me. Let's be honest. This whole season certainly was brilliant, and 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 I I will say, well, you could see it as the season, season five, or even with the split, however you want to call it. It was just fantastic, Mm -hmm. And, and they, other than the Jesse moping, however, I get the Jesse moping thing. It, it was well done. What they did with Hank, though, was perfect all the way through. You could, I, I thought you were going to go with the Ozymandias episode, honestly. Oh, and, and what I I'm find fascinating, hairs. if you go to IMDb right now, the Ozymandias episode is a 10 out of 10. Yeah. I have never seen a 10 out of 10 on that. Right. Uh, for me, it is the finale, uh, which I'm losing what the fuck they call it. It's Felina. Yeah. And, and the machine gun in the trunk aside... For me, the key is tying up every loose end. And again, not necessarily giving a happy ending. There was no happy ending to be had here. No. However, as far as I'm concerned, there still was to a certain extent. Walt got the happy Walt was going to die as it was. Right. And you to end Jesse it, had a happy ending. Walt's end coming, knowing he was bleeding to death, knowing he had cancer, stumbling into the meth lab, and standing there and tidying up to me was perfect. Mm-hmm. It had come full circle. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't ask for any more than that. And the fact that 
everybody that you'd come to hate in that series had finally got what was coming to him. The only one that you could say that to me I hated that somehow got away scot-free was Skylar. Yeah. And I get it. There's still plenty of people out there that would say Skylar was a victim. However, there's also all the people that send hate mail to her on uh, to uh, her on a daily basis, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Because <laughs> Anna Gunn had anything right. to do. <laughs> but it, it, you use the term splitting hairs, and that's all it is. Oh, certainly. There, there's no episode here below a nine any, on that. Any episode in any of these series we discussed is splitting hairs. There, it was... They they were brilliant, and as we said earlier, there were some shows that were left off that were just fucking solid. Certainly. It's just that they were more solid across the year I and had no episode. I know you wanted to stick the name game from American Horror Story on I there. did. I struggled. There are many episodes of Glee that, that just, just missed the cut for me. <laughs> the dead episode, the one where he died, and they, yeah, they did the, the tribute. The quarterback, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's 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 a renaissance of television here in the last uh, the last couple of years, uh, thanks to the cable networks and stuff. But we'd be remiss in ignoring the biggest disappointment, right? In everything, a show that once was at the top of its game and just sort of derailed about halfway through, and as we defended as we might. Over its last four seasons, it never recaptured what it was the first four seasons. And it took to the very end for me to at least look back and 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 admit to myself that this was a very, very great show for four seasons. And a very, very subpar one for four seasons. Right. Um, and we're talking about Dexter. Um, after the death of Rita, after the Trinity Killer season, season four, this, this show never, it had moments, but it never recaptured that same level of greatness that it seemed to have those first four. And you can argue the Jimmy Smith season or season two. So I, I enjoyed the shit out of the first four seasons, full, full seasons of the show. Mm -hmm. And it never, never got there again for me beyond that. I, I, and, I would agree. And the way it ended... Just seemed to me kind of like we got nothing. Well, and we don't know what the fuck to do with this. You and I at the beginning of the final season said, you know, this thing has hope. Mm -hmm. They're going the direction they are. There are there are some ways that they can get back what they wanted. And through the first two thirds of the season, I thought they were doing it. And then they added a character, and it went totally fucking bullshit again. Mm -hmm. And it was Dexter just got so it. It held on to conveniences way yeah. too much. Yeah. And the finale was so riddled with conveniences that it was almost unwatchable. Yeah. I felt like I'd committed time to something that didn't deserve it. Right. And that pissed me off. Right. Because the show wasn't that. The fact that he didn't die. was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I'm, I'm happy he's a lumberjack now. <laughs> a hauling Yeah, what the hell trees. is that supposed to mean? Great, he's a fucking lumberjack. And I'm happy that we have... Hospitals in Miami with drive with drive up boat bone up boat docks, <laughs> and that they don't check to see the dude rolling a corpse then, out. Oh, hey, look! There's a there's a hurricane about yeah. 300 yards off the shore. <laughs> maybe we need to evacuate. Yeah, maybe we need to evacuate because you didn't know that was coming a week yeah. earlier. <laughs> it was just it Come pissed on. me off so fucking bad. It was, and, 
Yeah, it just... It missed on every mark. And they had so many chances. And I know I've gone on the whole, what if Matsuka had been one of them? Right, but there were other, there were so many opportunities, but they, they didn't just even left do them all. With that. The whole Matsuka's daughter thing no, was just. It was, was just, just an ad. It was just a distraction. You know what it was? It gave us a chance to see a topless sports bar. Nice. I'm happy knowing they that exist. Was, that was awesome. We need to find one. Yes. I could easily go and sit and have some wings there. With Matsuka's daughter no, working there. Doubt. But yeah, come on, Dexter, you you was, you failed yeah, miserably, brutal. and it pains brutal. me to say that it was so pathetic. It's to the point where because of I, you know my undiagnosed OCD, I had the first four seasons of Dexter on DVD. Mm-hmm. I certainly can't justify buying the rest of them, Ooh. so I'm turning the four in because <laughs> I can't not have the full series of something. Wow. Uh, that's pretty bad. But the last half of this this series just ruined it for me. Yeah, it was terrible. But whatever, that's how it goes. So that's television. Let's uh, let's break here real quick, uh, get some freshies, and we'll start talking about the films of 2013. <laughs> A good year for cinema, in your opinion? I think overall it was. I think it was a great year for independent cinema. Right. Um, it, yeah, maybe not so much for the, the big tentpole films that people got their hopes up for. Some of them I liked, some of them I... I would impressed. argue that, yeah, that, that the major films, the ones that got the most discussion, the most promotion, eh, for the most part didn't hold up. There are a few that did. Um, but I would say, disappointment-wise, there were a few of those among that list. Which is but independent film, there were quite a few good. Because when we get to the, our top ten of the year thing, I, I don't think I have a tent pole on it. I actually have a couple. But you've been able to see a few movies I haven't. Right. Um, but I figured it would, it would make sense to talk first about those movies that we were excited for that didn't quite meet the expectations. Right. And we decided we we're going to do a top five each of disappointments right. of the year. Um, and, and I know that there's going to be at least two crossovers here. Um, I'd be curious. Maybe. But I'll, I'll go ahead and start this one. Okay. Uh, my fifth biggest disappointment was one of the ones that you had listed as one of your most anticipated movies. I don't remember if it was most anticipated of the summer or just of 2013 and stuff, but one of the ones that that I was looking forward to that just fell sort of flat for me because I've liked this director's work previously was The Bling Ring. Right. Um, Sophia Which actually is my number three. Really? 
Yes. Oh, all right. Well, then we're going to have at least three crossovers, I think. Um, yeah. This it, movie it wasn't was... horrible. It just was. It was as you know what this liar? movie is. It was surface level. Yes. I felt like I was watching an ETV yes. show on the events when they could have actually dug in deep into what made these kids tick. Right. Why did they feel that stealing these things made them part of the Hollywood elite? Correct. And it never, ever, ever approached that. Never. Had, and you'd think Sofia Coppola, with her background in film and so deeply rooted into the backbone of California's landscape, Yes. Would have thought that was important to put out there. I agree. It was. It was very. It was base level. Base level character. But there was no character. You felt like there. you, like I say, you're watching an ETV series mm-hmm. or or something that MTV would have rolled out. There was there was nothing. I don't need to see these kids invade Paris Hilton's closet for the third time. It, I get it. I get what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. It was just one big smash grab, smash grab, smash grab. Yeah. And and that not un, not not uninteresting. I, I still like the way Sofia Coppola. I, I like her style and her tone of filming, but yeah, it, and maybe and maybe the the ire should be directed more at the screenwriter here. But yeah, it just was. It was very. Basic. It was. There was just no development no, of any the, of these characters. There was nothing. And let's be blunt. What really bums me out is there were a few major names. Taisa Farmigo is in it. Uh, Emma, Emma Watson, Watson certainly. certainly. And it felt wasted because you could have thrown anybody. That's one of those extras that they put in these e. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the what was the. E-true the e true Hollywood stories. Any of the actors or actresses that are on those. They're actors or actresses, but they're D-list. You could have put them in it, in this movie and given us the exact same thing. Right. You would have thought that putting names that were known in there, they would have done something with them. They just didn't. Right. It was just an absolutely wasted effort for a movie that had been discussed for two years. And when it came, it was just nothing. Right. So. Your number five. You said that was your number three? That's my number three. My number five, and there's gonna, there could be some people that say, right, we need to do a movie that... People actually gave a shit about. I did. The Lords of Salem. I'm sorry. I looked so forward to this movie. We discussed it. Rob Zombie doing a movie about about the history of Salem. And certainly with a horror tone. When this movie came out, it's 90 minutes of nothing. This movie is just 90 minutes of absolute boredom. Of weird imagery. Now, certainly, you could say it would be interesting to get a glimpse inside of Rob Zombie's mind. But... If this is the glimpse inside of Rob Zombie's mind, I'm good. It, it really was boring. It was disjointed. It was boring. Nothing happened in it. And and the, the what you got at the end was nothingness. It it really felt like he thought he had a much bigger deal here than what I got out of the movie. And what's funny is I hid this list because my wife loves this stupid movie and I didn't want to argue with her. Right. And she loves it because she's a Rob Zombie defender. I'm a zombie fanatic. This was a lesser effort. I, I think that what he can put out there, he didn't give 100% effort on this one. Or if he did, something was lost. It was something disconnected, and it just didn't work. This movie was nothing yeah, short of just a mess. It didn't work. No. It Lords was, of Salem is my number five. 
Right on. My number four sticks with the uh, horror genre, actually. Uh, something I was hoping one of our, our best up-and-coming actresses was going to bring something a little different. And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily know that this really needs to fall on her shoulders. It, she did what she was given and, and what she, she pulled off what she was given. But my number four is Carrie. In the fact that it was a pointless remake because you gave us absolutely nothing different from the Brian De Palma film uh, back in when was it seventy eight whatever yeah, it was seventy eight seventy six somewhere in that era somewhere yep. in that era this was uh, even to the point of some of the dialogue was an absolute point for point remake. <laughs> Which sort of makes me wonder, what was the point? What were you trying to do? Because I saw this movie 30 years ago when it was called Carrie. Right. And again, nothing against Chloe, other than she was a little too pretty to be believable in this type of role. Yeah, they didn't even give any effort to making her look like she'd be an outcast. It had, the, had the original film never existed, this probably plays a little better. But... The original film does exist exactly as you presented it here, and it's a more believable film. Right. The only thing they do with this was gave it a slightly more modern spin. And as much as all only of a sudden... because they have cell phones? Exactly. And Facebook? And that, that alone does not give a reason for making a new movie. No. The plot, the scenes, the dialogue was, was more often than not exactly point for point. To the point of, uh, you could argue that they plagiarized the fucking original. Completely. It, it, it was, was just such a wasted effort. It was a waste of time. Yeah. So, Carrie for me is number four. My number four is a movie that I really hadn't even heard of until all of a sudden the trailer started rolling out two weeks before the movie. It did great at the theater. It was a piece of shit. Now you see me. <laughs> this movie... This disappointed you, though. What's that? This disappointed It you? disappointed me. Because you had expectations. I actually had expectations. This was going to be a good movie. Okay. I liked the cast. Yeah. I liked the idea. No, no question. But Woody Harrelson, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, yeah. uh, Ruffalo was... Mm-hmm. And what they gave was a piece of shit movie with so many holes, mm-hmm. so much stupidity. If this is honestly what people feel is a good good mystery, they're sadly, sadly mistaken. And it really makes me hurt for what the American moviegoer is then at that point. Yeah. This movie was terrible. There were a lot of people that liked it. A lot of, they've greenlit a second movie. Yeah, I know. This is terrible. Now You See Me had so much potential. And, and I look at movies like The Presidio. Excellent movie. You can do movies around magicians and have it work. The Presti- uh, the Presidio, sorry, I was thinking Prestige. Um, that You can do it right. Now You See Me did so much wrong, it was an absolute waste. It was nothing short of stupid. And I felt like every minute I watched it, my IQ was ticking away. <laughs> so, yeah, Now You See Me. It was that, I, I couldn't wait to see the movie when I saw it. I felt like I lost an hour and a half of my life, or an hour and three quarters. No, I, I'll I, never get back. I agree with that statement. I, I thought it was a shit movie. 
but I didn't have any big expectation for it, so it didn't make. I'd actually sense. gotten uh, I, there was what the the Prestige, and um, there was one with Ed Norton. I don't yeah. Um, my number three uh, was was a flick that I liked the first half hour of, and then it just derailed itself. Uh, the Wolverine. Um, I, I just felt I, I liked what they were doing early. I, I love the scene where he saves the dude in Japan from uh, the Hiroshima bombing. Great scene. Um, it, it was it was unnerving to actually to see this plane come and drop this bomb and then know that uh, that was that was just it was an awesomely done scene. And then all of a sudden, this just sort of turns into this this movie about wh- why is this dude doing what he's doing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't work for me. All of a sudden, I'm, you're getting this Obadiah Stane vibe from Iron Man here. And I'm like, what? what, what where did this shit come from? Yeah, uh- Literally Obadiah State. Yes. Everything about it was Obadiah State. And it made no sense because this character was, wasn't even a shell of the character you had at the beginning of this film. Every ounce of the honor discussion was gone yes. immediately. And it, it, it's, it was smacked in the face of the character and bluntly the Japanese race as a whole and their sense of honor. It made no sense. And I love the idea of setting a Wolverine movie with that as a background. Well, that's It had so many... Japan is Logan's origins. As a result, it just missed so many opportunities. Mm -hmm. Not on my list because this is the movie I kept even forgetting was coming out this year. (laughs) Right. The last Wolverine movie destroyed any interest in a Wolverine movie for me. Right. No. Oh, that's my uh, that's my number. Well, we've already done my number three because it's a bling ring. So right on. So I, I I suspect our top two are going to be the same. I don't know if they will be in the order of my number three. Uh, two is Iron Man three. Okay, we're so we're, so we're, we're flipping have the same up. two. And we're flipping. But if you remember, right, because my number one was the movie I was most excited to see exactly. and it felt kicked in the pills. Exactly. So. Iron Man three is the same way you've just just discussed the Wolverine. Mm-hmm. It, um, Iron Man three could have been a great movie, but then they pulled the big "we're going to be tricky with you" and pull a plot twist, which for some works. And if it works for you, fine. I'm not going to argue with you. But you know what? I will argue. You know what needs to be an Iron Man movie. Iron Man, <laughs> not PTSD Tony Stark, and that's what this movie was. By getting the director of Lethal Weapon, you gave me Tony Stark. I want fucking Iron Man. Right. And when you had the chance to carry on from the Avengers and everything we'd seen, and you give me this piece of shit, I felt like I'd had my entire bit of hope wasted. What what lost it for me, and I agree, I, I think you had a much better villain in the beginning when the Mandarin was the Mandarin, other than this this, this pretty boy who just shows up. And, mm. um, but what lost it for me is you spent this entire film telling me how Tony Stark can't live without Pepper Potts. Mm-hmm. And at the point of this flick where, which clearly as a viewer, you're not buying into, but in Tony's Stark's mind, Pepper is dead, and within 30 seconds, dude is up and is almost like forgotten that Pepper is dead. 
you even said it. It was part of the dialogue. The one thing I can't live without, that's you. And it, the whole death scenes felt so cheap and meaningless the way they presented it. The finale of this movie felt Shane Black. It felt like the end of fucking uh, uh, Lethal Weapon 3 yeah. or whatever. It was stupid. It felt like you were putting those heartfelt moments in a comedic movie. Yeah. Because you knew that there was a punchline coming, so you didn't need to feel any real deep regret. The only different, the only thing missing of this was Danny Glover on a fucking toilet. Right. It was, yeah. This this movie had so much potential. It yeah. really did, and I just didn't feel like it. Where the Avengers left off, Joss Whedon left this series on a high note, mm-hmm. and certainly I don't want to say left like he's left. I understand he's doing Avengers too. But that's the last we saw of the Avengers. But Jesus Christ. Hanging out there, Iron Man 3 could have gone in any direction been good. Apparently not. They did so many missteps. And I've rewatched it thinking maybe I was too hard on it. And I hated the movie more on the second year. I have not watched it. I really thought it was more boring throughout on the second viewing. Actually, I shouldn't say that because I think I watched it twice. You saw it, but you you saw it twice at the theater right from the get go because you right. got the, the ticket for the vendor viewing. Right. Then you and I went, yeah. and we saw the bearded lady. That's right, we did. But <laughs> that, admittedly, though, you're talking then two times in three days. That yeah. still really doesn't get time like to one. think about it. Right. So, so the number one so is our, our, Elysium. Well, my number two and number one uh, reverse here, Elysium. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't wait for this movie. And what I didn't have hopes. I didn't have. A, I didn't have a real big expectation. One way or I, I did because I District Nine to me is is one of those go to movies that if I just want to throw Neil in a movie, Blomkamp, the director here, and I had no issue with. District 9 being the apartheid film. Mm. Because I get, he's from South Africa, and I get times of change, and he's part of the rich white group. And there's that interesting thing. When you get that that rich kid who hates himself for being rich, but that's what Elysium felt like is, he's used this rich all this money to become a director, and now he's hating on everything it's given him. Yeah. He hates on everything about corporations, mm-hmm. about the rich, mm-hmm. about the white. Apparently, the white are going to be the ones to build a spaceship out in outer space and say, fuck yeah. you all. The rich white are going to be up there and let planet Earth rot. Right. It felt nothing more than some kind of big political, mm-hmm. racial, economic kind of fucking harangue yeah. when it could have been just an out-and-out good sci-fi movie. And that's what pissed me off. It could have been a great sci-fi movie. Sure. Instead, no. They let it get buried in the harangue and it was a piece of shit as a result. And we have Jodie Foster's horrific acting. The worst acting I've seen in, I think, all year. And from somebody who flat out, I I don't know what the fuck she was trying to do. She can can act quite well. But that was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I I agree 100%. It was the whole... The whole political undertone of this. And, and, And that... And that really is... Unfortunately, bleeding into a lot of things that Hollywood's doing these days, which makes, in my opinion, makes them complete fucking hypocrites right. to begin with. And, and and Elysium is it could be the poster child of the Hollywood uh, hypocrite of, of 2013. Yep. I, I agree. It was it was nothing more than a 
uh, you're the white devil fucking uh, bullshit. It, which, again, makes it, it... Which makes Matt Damon in it make it all the more, because Matt Damon's one of those guys. Right. I don't hate Damon. I think he's a good actor. He's a great but, actor. But, yeah, he's another one of those guys who just... Who, who thinks a little too much of his own fucking opinion. Um, he seems to do that that little thing of hating on what he is. And that right. drives me nuts. And again, that's a spoiled but little But doesn't walk thing. away from it. Oh, fuck no. <clears throat> it's the rich kid that tells you that they hate corporate America as they're yeah. sitting there with their iPad building a website yeah. on the World Wide Web saying how much they need to bring the entire corporate America down. Right. It's like, fuck you. What part of this conversation are you not getting? Right. And it drives you batshit. And that's all Elysium ended up being. Ignoring all the plot holes, of which there were many, many, many. Mm-hmm. No, Elysium for me was number one. All right. So before we before we break it here, let's. Uh, I, I I think we only we decided to do one. I could do two. Of biggest surprise. Yeah, I can do two too. I so. can do two because I I, I'm struggling with this, so I can do two. Um, I'll, I'll go with this one. Uh, one, of, one of the most pleasant surprises... I'm hoping we have a crossover, so I... Uh, I think we will. Um, one of my most pleasant surprises of the year was World War Z. Thank you. That's that's one um, of mine. It's not the one I wrote down here, but it's but it's certainly one. And, and I don't think by any stretch was this a great movie. No, but God... But I, I expected... Shit! Another Earth. Or not another Earth. After Earth. When I went into this... Uh, after Earth met every expectation uh, I had because it, I expected it to be a complete piece. After of Earth, shit. we're not doing a list of the worst movies. No. After Earth because would again, be that list because it, again, it's a subjective thing, right? And yes, for me, the worst movie I saw in a theater this year was After, After Earth. Earth, hands but down. I walked into that expecting that right. come the end of the year I would be saying that. Yes, World War Z. I also walked in there thinking that would be in the discussion for worst, and it was nowhere near. No, that, that movie actually surprised the hell out of me. And yes, there there were some issues. And if you go back to listen to the podcast we did, we we call them out things around the the, the big plane crash and some so forth. But the movie itself was a hundred times better than I ever thought it was going to be. Yeah. I found myself interested. I found myself entertained. What they gave me was a very good story. And considering all the stories of having to go back and do rewrites and everything else, mm-hmm. I got a hell of a great viewing. I agree. So I, I can't knock that one. I, I, I actually enjoyed that one. I agree. My other one, um, my other one's actually a comedy. Ah, so this is where we won't cross over. But I know what it's going to be because I had three and I knocked this one off the list. Um, yeah, my this one here, you basically made a... I don't know, a jambalaya of a lot of people I just don't generally like. And they played off on that. And they played off on that, and they played it off well, so well together. And for me, it really is probably my favorite comedy of the year. And this is I the end. I that. Yep. It, 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 yeah, it, it, you said it exactly. They played off the off of their own stereotypes. They knew. I'm not a Franco guy. Oh, I'm not God, necessarily no. a Michael Sarah guy. Nope. I'm not a Seth Rogen guy. Nope. Although I'm I'm warming to Seth Rogen. I, I'm, I'm not quite there with Franco yet. I, I, I would prefer Franco just stick to this type of shit than try to be a serious actor. But. 
Um, you know, Jonah Hill, I'm coming around on. Mm-hmm. Guys that I'm coming around. Danny McBride, eh, give, give two shits. McBride was the bomb in this movie. But he was though. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, this just, this worked on every level for me. This was just yeah. funny shit. Yeah, no, this is the end. It was a great time at the theater. Yeah. It really was. And... I, I like the fact that they came right out and and called their own weaknesses out. Yeah, I mean, right down to calling was it Michael Sarah? They say the the not they didn't call him anorexic, like hundred and ten pounds skinny douchebag right. asshole or so right. or or hipster douchebag asshole. Right. Yeah, they're right. That's exactly the way he comes across. That's why we fucking hate him. Right. And Franco was with, with his aloof bullshit. And that if you're going to own this, then own it and yep. run with it. And yep. they did it. And they made a great movie. I've seen it a few times. It's fun as fuck the second time through. It's just... Plus this I is love the end. Craig Robinson. I oh, love hell yeah. Craig Robinson. <laughs> Hermione just stole all our shit. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that he's walking around with that freaking sweat rag on yeah. his shoulder and everything yeah. else, owning the fact he's a big black guy. <laughs> that, that it's Emma awesome. Watson throws herself into this talking about the rape that, that, scene. And stuff. That thing's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Emma throwing F-bombs down like yep. nobody's ever heard from yep. Hermione. And I love the fact that that's basically the way. Yeah, Hermione stole her shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that for me, was, was my biggest surprise. And me. for me, the other one is a movie that people don't talk about enough, but you and I have. Mama. Yeah, yeah, Mama as a horror movie Worked. shocked the hell out of me. Worked. And it shocked the hell out of me in a way, in a way that you and I have called out before. Kid actors. Kid actors, for some reason, seem to get more of a pass than they should. But in this movie, the two girls that they got to play the parts of the daughters were... Those two girls owned it. And basically, if you haven't seen Mama, it's about a guy who kills kills his wife and takes the kids. And leaves them in this cottage way out in the middle of fucking nowhere when he realizes what he's done. Well, he was going to kill them. Right. And and, and the, the inside this cottage is the spirit who basically just takes care of business but then raises the kids, but they're nothing short of wild. Right. And, and throughout the movie, and, and enter, uh, no, Zero Dark Thirty, uh, Jessica Chastain later on in a role that if you didn't realize that was Jessica Chastain, you it would be hard to believe because yeah. she's this total punk rocked out chick. Who then these kids come into her life and she's got to try to raise them with this big mysterious thing going on in the background. Mama is a great horror movie. Good, from the horror perspective, there's some great throwbacks to old type yeah. horror. Without the jump scares, without yes. anything else. And the fact that the ending is anything but a happy ending. Right. If you really think about the risk, and, and I'm not going to say what it was, but the risk that they took. Yeah. It's crazy. Typically, American movies would never go that way. And I, Mama to me is now, one Mama's of Mama's one of my top three horrors. Of the that year. was a great sure. film, and it doesn't get the attention it deserves. And, and this is where I'll say uh, Guillermo del Toro, it, he's got this thing where he loves finding up-and-coming directors, because that's basically how he got his start. He was a, 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 a effects guy that got some got a chance. And ran with it. And I love the fact that he's paying it forward. Right. And if, if this is what we can get, God, I, I can't wait to see what other kind of things will come out. Because Mama was 
what I miss in horror. Yep. It was a great movie, great story, a totally original idea. I can I can get on board with that. So, sort of, uh, I don't know, segueing from biggest surprises, we can jump into our top performances in movies of the year. Not necessarily, though, for Oscars. Not necessarily. We're trying Oscar. to avoid Oscar ones. Well, to that to that end. Three of my five probably will find their way into Okay, I avoided that. I didn't necessarily avoid that. Um, But one of them might. We'll see. Well, we'll see. I I, I looked at it from from the critical eye of of performances, but there's definitely a couple on here that aren't going to get that that level of love. All right. Um, I'll start this one, too. Uh, My number five, and it's a movie you haven't yet seen... Uh, was Nebraska, uh, and a lot of a lot of love is going to Bruce Dern in the title role, and a lot of love is going in a supporting role to June Squibb. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, and as a cinephile, it may be, you know, it may be a bad thing, but I'd never even really heard of June. I don't Squibb even know the names, but she's an older lady, and she steals every last scene she is in in Nebraska. They're talking about her for a potential supporting nod in the role, and I say well-deserved. Um, I liked Nebraska a whole lot, but every time June Squibb was on screen, I was just enthralled because she was so damn funny because she's just a cantankerous old lady and unfiltered. And there's a scene where the family goes to the cemetery and she's just sort of whipping off on who this person was and who that person was and she's she's awkward and uncomfortable and unfiltered and and she's just brilliant in this role and June Squibb uh, certainly is one of my favorite one of the most memorable characters I saw on, on a film this year right. well, for me I'll start with a guy who's gotten some attention in the past but won't for this role. And that's Michael Shannon mm. playing Richard Kuklinski in The Iceman. And The Iceman is one of those movies that some people have seen, some people haven't. It's a great movie. And it's Michael Shannon. The guy is such a great actor. And if people don't know him, well, this year it's harder to say you don't know him because he was Zod. But the fact of the matter is he's been in countless movies as, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. But... As Richard Kuklinski, he was just flat out amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and you found yourself just so absorbed in everything that drove him to, to this life of crime. Because the Iceman was basically about this guy who was just that. He, it's a true story about a guy who, who was a paid hitman for the mob. And he did it for his family. Which is about this, the strangest thing to ever say. But in his mind, he came to that decision. These people are bad. The mob tells me so. My family gets the big house. I kill him. Fine. And, and the just the way he carried himself, Michael Shannon was just fantastic in this role. Will he get any Oscar love? Probably not. But he made the Iceman well worth watching. So, Michael Shannon for Richard Kulkinski and the, the Iceman. Cool. My number four is going to come from a movie that I've only seen once, but I... I uh... I didn't particularly like the first time I saw. 
It's also an actor who I admitted earlier in this podcast that I wasn't a big fan of. However, if, if he does more of this type of role, which I think serves him well, I'm inter- just interested to see, if you... to, to see what he will do if he does this type of thing. Um, it was James Franco as Alien. Fuck. I'm, this is my number six. I wanted to put in, him on the list so bad. In uh, Spring Breakers. He was awesome as that. I, he was he was believable in that. In, in a movie that was so over the top unbelievable, he was the, the thing I think that kept it grounded to a point. He represented that guy, that that white trash kid who gets becomes part of the drug trade yep. to live to that level excess. Mm-hmm. You can see some white trash kid looking at that, coming out of the trailer park saying, if I can become alien, I can live the high life. Sure. Yes, there will be victims. Who the fuck cares? Right. It's all about the Benjamins. And that's what Alien was. Yeah. Yeah, I str- I wanted to put him on the list really badly. And I it was, loved it was Franco. Franco in that role. He was perfect as and Alien. And I need to revisit the movie. Because, well... After seeing it once, I don't necessarily... Th- I think I think a lot of people are latching on to Spring Breakers and, and sort of giving Harmony Corinne a little bit too much credit that there was some sort of hidden meaning to this whole thing. I didn't catch any, any big meaning to what he was trying to do here. I thought it was all a pretty empty expose of, of shit. But... It's entertaining to watch. I love what he does just with the color palette of the film. Mm-hmm. I love that just that whole that whole neon sodium vaporish uh, thing, which is also why I, I think I liked um, Only God Forgives quite a bit, which a lot of people are trashing. I just like the style of and, and, and tone of the film, but I, I, I really don't think there was any deep rooted meaning to what was going on yeah, here. But I need to see it again. We came out of Spring Breakers, and that was one of the movies you and I disagreed with. Because I actually like Spring Breakers. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. And and, I, and no, I don't necessarily think there was some deep, dinner, deep dark inner meaning. But I, I liked the tone and feel of the film. And I actually think there was some intent about this whole push for, for greatness. Basically... Whoever dies with the most wealth wins, but the problem is you die, and that's the problem. Right. Now, if that's the great meaning that, that Harmony Corinne had, all right, fine. It, you didn't need to go do a movie for it. Right. I actually enjoy Spring Breakers more than that, but yeah, Frank was alien. Have you seen it more than once yet? Not yet. I'm actually <laughs> was thinking, considering watching it tonight, actually. Right. It feels like the middle of the winter kind of movie. Yeah. My next one is going to throw you for a curb, because I fucking hated this character. Huh. Greta Gerwig as Francis as Francis Ha. I, 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 I love the choice. despised her. Love the choice. But I, I came to realize that I despised her because she owned it so well. Mm. It's just not me. I can't, I could never associate with somebody so dissociated from the rest of the world. It would, I'd want to punch her. Mm. Yet, Greta Gerwig did a great job owning that. Sure. And, and and she so fully absorbed herself in Francis Ha, and I so well picture. I, I watched that movie months ago, yet I can picture everything she did so well. It stands out, and, and as a result, yeah. 
whether or not I like the character is immaterial. Whether or not Greta Gerwig did a great job is the important part. Mm. She made me dislike Frances Ha, and for that, well, Frances Holloway, I should say. And the as character, a result, not the movie. Correct. Okay. And as a result, Greta Gerwig playing Frances Holloway is my number uh, four. Well, nice, interesting. My number three is a guy who is getting a lot of notoriety for two films this year. Um, and I'm going to give him credit for one of them. Uh, basically, because I liked one of these movies better than I liked the other. It's Matthew McConaughey, uh, who was good in Dallas Buyers Club, but I thought was great in Mud. Yep. Um, just owns every piece of this this drifter guy who is hiding out on this island away from the law trying to get his girlfriend back I love the whole just run down blue collar Mississippi Louisiana vibe to this it was thing. a beautiful film and and freaking you're talking about the same guy I can't remember who it was that that made take shelter the year yeah. before um, and and Makes this incredible. It, it, it is certainly buoyed by the fact that he had two great child actors with him, and he just owns every piece of this. And, and this is the Matthew McConaughey and Dallas Buyers Club and Magic Mike and things like that that we want to see on screen. And he is just fucking brilliant mm-hmm. in mud. And I had to give some love to, to McConaughey yeah. here. No, the only reason I didn't include him is I intentionally tried to avoid what I thought could get an Oscar nom. Right. Maybe he won't here, but yeah, there's there's no question. I honestly think if he does get an Oscar <coughs> nom, it's going to come from Dallas Buyers. And I think that would be unfortunate because I think, well, not having seen Wolf of Wall Street, I can't state anything about his character in that. Uh, he won't get anything from Wolf of Wall okay. Street because... Out of the three-hour runtime, he may ha- he might have five minutes okay. of time. He's but Mud to me was by far the better showing of the two, it, which I is agree. no statement about Dallas Buyers Club. It it's just how good he was in Mud. Right. Mud was a just almost perfect movie. <clears throat> if you don't mind the ambiguous ending. No, I can live with it. That was fine. So, my number three is going to be way out in left field. And it's going to be a kid. I'm going to go with Moises Arias as Biagio <laughs> in Kings of uh, Summer. He was out there. You, you liked this movie. I loved Kings of Summer. Yeah. Kings of Summer, to me, was one of my... Well, well, we'll see if it ends up we'll, we'll in my top ten. <laughs> but... Biagio to me was such a great character, and and Moises, for a kid who had only been in a few roles, a kid that's come out of basically come out of uh, Hannah Montana. Yeah, and and he just fucking ran with such a quirky character who became the center point of so much of that movie. Let's be honest; it was all about him and uh, Nick Offerman in this Mm -hmm. movie. Mm And I, I love the Kings of Summer, and I love Biagio. He was he was that quote unquote wild card character. If you wanted to go to Always Sunny reference, he's the Charlie Day of the group. Absolutely. You had no idea what the fuck he was going to do. However, at, at his heart, Biagio was doing what he felt was the right thing for the group, right. and that's what made him a great character. I love fucking Biagio. Oh, I, I, love I, I agree. Him and Offerman stole that. Flip. Yeah. 
um, yeah, and it was it was it was surprising because it was Moises Arias. Right, Moises was fucking awesome in this. He was awesome in that. My number two is a guy I wish to hell was going to get some discussion around Oscar, but I know he's not because the movie was too far ago and it didn't get. Well, it, it's acclaimed. It's not Oscar worthy acclaimed, and it's basically Sam Rockwell in the way way back. My number one. <laughs> He's my number two. Um, he he makes the way way back such a great experience to watch. Arguably one of my favorite movies of last year. Certainly, um, and, and Rockwell, who's not necessarily a comedically trained actor, pulls off some of the best comedy in a film where there are comedically trained actors right. and. It, he he does it without missing a beat, and he is that guy that you just, yeah, he's a clown, but he's also a clown with some heart and some understanding. His Owen was the guy that we all wish that we were in those certainly. awkward teenage years, yeah. we could have met this guy. Yeah. Because he would have made that transition from teenage to young adult that much easier. Yeah. Because that's what he did. Yeah. He, he understood the struggles that somebody goes through. And carried him through. And, mm-hmm. and God, Rockwell was perfect for that role. And and you're right. For someone that doesn't have the comedic background, he owned it. He outshone people in there who were seasoned. And it, yeah, I, I to me, I don't think Rockwell would get an Oscar nom. I think no. he should. It, he was that discussion. good. Yeah, he's not even in the discussion, unfortunately. Well, if that was your number one, what's your number two? Amanda Seyfried for Lovelace. And and it's a movie that people are all over the place on. Some people like and some people don't. I personally thought it was a very, very well done adaptation. My my issue, as is clear from the Don John discussion, is the discussion of whether or not the evils of pornography exist. And this movie didn't even go there. It, It basically looked at Linda Lovelace as a person and what she went through, both Embracing the celebrity and trying to spit on it afterwards. And Amanda Seyfried, who... She's done some roles that have put her out there, but nothing like this. She's she's beautiful, but she owned it. And Linda Lovelace ain't an easy character to play, because you're talking to someone who's put through some shit. I thought Amanda Seyfried was nothing short of brilliant in this role. And for people that really haven't liked Lovelace, I think they're looking at the porn industry with some kind of a of, of a black eye. And I don't think they should. I, I think you need to look at this movie as something all by itself. And and Amanda Seyfried really, considering the fact that this was the movie that she was brought in afterwards, if I'm not mistaken, this was the uh, one that Lindsay Lohan, uh, Lindsay Lohan was going to play. She came in at, while well, this thing had already been cast and, and just flat out owned this movie and arguably to me was one of the greatest acting jobs I'd seen all year. Will she get me asked uh, any kind of Oscar love? No, but she was fantastic in the movie and people need to give it a shot. Cool. Uh, my number one isn't somebody that I'm, I'm necessarily going to come out and say today <coughs> is going to win an Oscar. It's certainly somebody I hope will, will not win an Oscar, but we know how Oscar works it doesn't necessarily go to the best. 
Um, I, it, I, I can't overlook the performance of uh, Shivatel Ojia Four in Twelve Years a Slave. Fair, yeah. Um, it, it is. It's mind boggling. It, it, it's Daniel Day Lewis and Lincoln haunting. level. It, it, it's he's perfect in the role. He embraces every bit of a role that had to have been uncomfortable to even be a part of. Uh, and it's just it's just a brilliant, brilliant job. I hope he walks away with a statue. As I as I read into the buzz leading up to it, I'll make my assessment on whether or not I think he will. But uh, for my money, of, of everything I've seen this year, his performance is the best. I would agree. Um, it was hands down the best actor performance I've seen all year. Yeah. Acting, period. I, I was so absorbed with everything he did in that movie. Every little just movement of the eyes and the way he stared at the camera was just scary. Yeah. That, you, yeah. And I suspect we'll be discussing that a little bit more. In about two months. <laughs> uh, well, in, in about two minutes after we take a break here and we come back with our top ten films of 2013. All right. I think we, uh, I think we need a little bit of a disclaimer here. Um, whole lot of movies out there. Some of them only in limited release. A couple of them that we weren't able to catch up with before this podcast. Oh yeah, and I guarantee our list would change. Well, I know, or I assume. <laughs> I know at least for me, one that I haven't been able to see. Probably easily cracks my top ten, yeah. and that's Inside Lewin Davis by the Cohen Brothers. Everything I've I've seen on it, everything I've read on it, leads me to believe that it will be one of my favorite movies of the year mm-hmm. once I get a chance to actually see it. Because, but because we apparently live in the outskirts of everything, yeah, we are in the the nether regions of yeah. existence. Um, we haven't had a chance to see it yet. Um, there's a couple other films for me that I want to see that I don't, I don't know. I couldn't say one way or the other, um, you know, Fruitvale Station, Short Term 12, Her, uh, films like that, that I haven't had a chance to see yet. But Inside Lewin Davis for me is probably one that I can confidently say would probably crack my top 10 had I seen it. But I have to make my... My disclaimer is that one and Wolf of Wall Street, which I'd planned on seeing Christmas. But if you hear my voice, it was five times worse Christmas Day, so didn't make it to the movie. Thus, there's no Wolf of Wall Street for me. I have yet to see it. I'll see it on New Year's Day, which pisses me off to no end. Right. Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio doing a movie together again, and then you add everything else and let's be honest that was one of the movies I had on my top five most excited to see and sure yeah so my list is what it is understanding that the movies on the higher end could very well move off the list once I see those okay 
Well, uh, go ahead. Knock yourself out there. Well, I will, but this next one's going to be real quick because we've already discussed it. Number 10 for me is The Kings of Summer. I thought it was just a great film. It reminded me of my, my youth... When my buddies and I did build that fort out in the middle of the woods that we'd go to every day. We didn't eat a bus market. (laughs) However, it was like eh, half a mile behind a gas station that had a convenience store that had a machine that sold chips and everything else. So we went in there and raided the Andy Cap, the old uh, potato stick things there, the barbecue sticks. And we, we built the fort. We saw it as our own, like, Total world. Everything that happened in there was separate from anything else that went on around us. And that's what the Kings of Summer meant to me, is it just reminded me so much of that part of my youth. Mm -hmm. And that's why I enjoyed it that much. I'd forgotten how important that part of my life was. It was an escape, you know? For some reason, you felt untouchable inside those forts that you built. It it, it was your world. And everything you did, you ruled. And that was perfect. Right. That was my number 10. Uh, my number 10, I'll, I'll just, uh, I, and, and believe me, I, I struggled hard to figure out which one of these I was going to put above the other at this point. And it, it really came down to what I appreciated more from a, a setting than anything. Um, because, and I bumped Francis Ha out of the top 10 in favor of Mud, right. which we just sort of discussed. And a lot of it had to do with, well, of course, the performances, but just I, I love stories that are set in those run-down, white, trashy types of settings. Again, Mud was a gorgeous film. Yeah. It, in, in all its ugliness, yeah. Mud captured that part of this country. Not that I'm saying the Southeast is ugly, but it, 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 it it's not the most beautiful area. It, it's It's a pit. A lot it, of it is a pit. And it captured just the poverty in the existence of that world. Yeah. And, and it really, yeah, Mud was an all but perfect film. Yeah, loved it. That's my number 10. All right. Well, for me, my number nine was Side Effects. They find me. What? When? Today. That's why I have to make this thing with Emily work. I'm not letting another Alison Finn happen. That's why I'm fighting this time. I don't want to hear about Emily or Alison But this is starting to make sense No, it's not making sense. It doesn't make sense that you're sitting here doing this all day long. The case is over. The photographers are gone. Your partners are gone. The Delatrex thing is now gone. You're the only one that's still here. I just want to know what happened. Um, Soderbergh, you can go up and down on. Mm-hmm. But side effects to me, you can't. It was, to me, what a great mystery thriller needs to be. And when he gets it right, he really gets it. And in this case, I think he did. It's such an unusual kind of thriller, but it really had me entertained from beginning to end. I've watched it three or four times, and and it still seems to hold every single bit of excitement I had from the first time. So for me, I think Side Effects is easily my number nine favorite movie of the year. 
Oh, I, I enjoyed the hell out of side effects. Side effects is interesting because it was actually the first movie I saw after the layoffs of la- of earlier in the year. Uh, I saw it in the theater, and yeah, I I agree. And Soderbergh for me has always been a hit or miss. I wasn't a fan of Contagion. Oh, Contagion's all the um, boring. What was the one with Gina Gershon there? That uh, oh, uh, uh, Haywire. Haywire. Oh, it was yeah, terrible. Yes, for that. there's this weird push from people loving that movie. Yet you and I have yeah, both I, gone on record saying maybe it's a I need piece to see shit. it again, but but I oh. did not enjoy it. But then I can look back at Ocean's Eleven. I yep. can look back at Aaron Brockovich, and, and those were great flicks. But this year, yeah, side effects, and then you throw in the HBO document, or not documentary, but movie um, Behind the Candelabra, and I, for me, Soderbergh's had a great year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you still haven't seen the man love flick yet, but yeah. I know it's in Redbox. <laughs> it is. And at some point, I will I will get my guy guy on. Right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no. Side effects was was great. Um, the, the, I I had just seen too many too many movies that were even greater this year to put it, but it would, certainly would be an honorable mention for me. Um, my number nine is one you haven't seen yet. Um, it, it was a breakout performance for uh, a a good up and coming actor in Miles Teller. Um, it's certainly another another reason to believe that Shailene Woodley is going to be mm. one of the next great uh, actress, young actresses out there. Uh, the Spectacular Now is my number nine. Um, uh, another great... There seems to be some really good coming-of-age stuff in the last couple of years. A lot of stuff you haven't seen yet. Because I'm pretty sure you haven't seen Perks of Being a Wallflower yet. Um, and now we got The Spectacular Now in the mix. Um and it, just another one of those just very real feeling performances and just and buoyed by two very, very good young uh, actors. And, of course, you throw in a little Bob Odenkirk, you throw in a little Kyle Chandler, uh, a little bit of uh, Brie Larson, and, and you've got a good, uh, a good mix here. It, it was really an, an entertaining and thoughtful film. Spectacular now, my number nine. Well, now we're going to go, for me, more of a mass appeal film. Number eight. Number eight, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, that movie, uh, it really could have been a piece of shit. Thankfully it wasn't, but really, thankfully... A lot of it, people would argue with you. I know. A lot of people didn't like it. But really, for me, Benedict Cumberbatch, if he wants to be a villain in anything, And I have thought about putting him on my best performances list. He... Uh, Everybody knows Montalban as Khan, but as far as I'm concerned, he did better. Cumberbatch is the better Khan at this point. And, and that's stating something, because you're, you're getting rid of years of Star Trek Trekkie history here. I, I, I thought Into Darkness was a great film. I acknowledge those that have issues with the film. I understand why. For me, I don't have them. I liked Into Darkness a lot. It, I've watched it three times. Holds up every time. Certainly one of the better blockbuster tentpole features for me this year was Star Trek. Um, Again, I I don't have any tentpoles on my list. I have two. Um, If I were to put there, Star Trek would be one of them. It was up there with The Hunger Games and probably Thor The Dark World for me. Uh, Among the best of the... Mega blockbusters of the year. 
Um, but no, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Of Star Trek, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was it was a fun ride for the whole time. Um, my number eight, and this may surprise you that it's this far down my list, I guess, um, is the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, it is, seen it is my number eight. It, it's Scorsese, and I've always <laughs> contended that even a bad Scorsese film is better than 98% of everything else you're going to see that year. And I'm not saying by saying that that this is a bad film. Um, this, is, this feels very different than things that Scorsese has done in the past. They're calling it his best since Goodfellas and Casino and things like that. Um, and it, it, it is very entertaining at its three-hour runtime. Um, it, it, it's nonstop, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill own the characters that they portray. And I know that this is semi-autobiographical, based off the book of Jordan Belfort, that uh, was was basically the guy who spent his life selling penny stocks and all this stuff to people and only to really get himself rich. The, a lot of it is way over the top, which is fine because it's entertaining, but you're not really sure where the lines of reality and just this looks like a whole lot of fun on screen sort of blur. Yeah. The reality versus bullshit argument. Sure. Um, and I, I don't get the sense that Scorsese's intention was this, but a lot of the problem I'm having is the people who are reacting to this film who seem, they feel like that they are judging the entire capitalistic society and Wall Street in general off of this movie, that every CEO of every corporation is living his life like this guy. And that scares me because it's not true. Is there corruption on Wall Street? Absolutely. Is there corruption behind every door on Wall Street? Fuck no. And I hope to Christ that Scorsese isn't trying to make that statement. I, I hope and I haven't heard Scorsese talk about this film. I haven't heard him say word one. Um, and, and I hope that this is strictly an indictment on Jordan Belfort, who is a douchebag and a criminal and a guy who who made his nut off of fucking over people. But that's not the foundation of capitalism. It's not what goes behind the CEO door of every major corporation. But a lot of people seem, just like the fucking Occupy movement, everybody on Wall Street is a corrupt douchebag and it needs to stop. No, they're not. And and that that bugs me. And that is sort of what has pulled me back down off of this a little bit. Everybody who says that is also everybody who wants to live like that. There's a jealousy factor here. They want to be Jordan Belfort. They just don't want to have to work. Regardless of what you think of Jordan Belfort, he worked to get there. And yes, he did it illegally and criminally, and that's wrong. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that he shouldn't get what he has coming to him. But too many people today want to be that without doing a damn thing for it. And that bugs me. And... 
I think that that mindset is is bringing that movie back a little bit out of the rafters for me. Um, and and it, and and, to, and, I, and maybe that's unfair to judge the movie based on that. But With all I, the movies I am, you saw, you still put it in your top ten. I, I still put it in my top ten <laughs> purely from the entertainment standpoint. There is a couple of. Uh, um, physical sight gags in here that DiCaprio and Jonah Hill go through that are just some of the most hilariously brilliant scenes I've seen all year. Jonah Hill, he was good in Moneyball, he's great in this. And Jonah Hill, I think, has broken himself away from just that fat, funny kid from the, from from the Judd Apatow. Yeah, I think, I think this is what does it for him. DiCaprio's DiCaprio, pound for pound the greatest actor, in my opinion today, who doesn't have an Oscar on this thing. He could be nominated here. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that he'd win. I don't know that he should win over Ojafor. Um, but it, The Wolf of Wall Street is certainly entertaining. It certainly doesn't necessarily feel like a full three-hour runtime because there's so much going on. Um, but yeah, I, I temper it a little bit and it, it pulls it back to my number eight. All right. Uh, my number seven, Dallas Buyers Club. There we got the. What are you doing here? Well, I live here. Where's Rayon? <coughs> Roommates? Uh, not exactly. What are you doing here? Roger Thompson. This is my patient. You treating these people? Oh, they're treating themselves. With what? Vitamins, peptide tea, DDC, anything but that poison you're hawking. So you ever wear any color? Seems like every time I see you, all I see is white. Got white coat, white shoes, white... Tell oh. Rayon I was looking for him. I am telling my patients to stay away from here. Why? Excuse me. So you want to go grab steak sometime? I know it's red. Um, and, and not so much for McConaughey here, but for Jared Leto. Is it Leto or Leto? I've heard it pronounced Leto more often than not. Dallas Buyers Club, there were a few weaknesses. However, I think that overall the story itself was fairly well told. But the performance that Jared Leto gave was just, it, it, it almost knocked my fucking socks off. And you thought he was hot. I, I, I would have gotten with Jared Leto. <laughs> I, I'll put that out there. Um, but it, it not, not taking any way thing away from Matthew McConaughey either. Matthew McConaughey, this rebirth that he's had is just amazing. Because a few years ago, I didn't want to see him in another fucking movie. He basically become stoner rom-com dude. Like I had said uh, previously, if you had told me ten years ago that there would be a movie coming out this year with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Garner, mm-hmm. I'd have been like running for the hills. I'm right. like, oh god, no, not another one of those. Yeah, and, and it, Dallas Buyers Club, I, despite. The couple weaknesses overall, we had a very, very good movie, mm. a- and I, certainly, I think they could have done more to have given his life afterwards. But the snapshot it gave during was a a a, a very, very well intended snapshot 
a snapshot of a life of somebody who probably was was doing things for his own personal means. However, he still affected so many people in a certain way that you got to give a certain amount of credit where credit's due. So, yeah, I, I actually, thinking back, the Dallas Buyers Club really did a pretty good, damn good job for me. I enjoyed Dallas Buyers Club. It didn't make my, my top ten. Um, it, it, for me, it had some problems structurally, but uh, no, it, definitely an entertaining fucking... I, I can't I can't debate at all the performances of McConaughey or Leto. No. Um, but yeah, certainly I certainly don't uh, begrudge you that pick for number seven. Uh, my number seven is another film that I need to see again to maybe wrap my head around some of the content a little bit more. Um, but from a performance standpoint, everything just stands out uh, as great talking about a guy who's made three movies in three years and all of these and I'm telling are, you yes you and, need to see it and I know this feeling. is going to be way higher up on your list yes, than me. but for me number seven uh, right now is uh, David O. Russell's American Hustle yeah. I have nothing but the utmost respect for you as my mentor and it's okay, it's okay. as my mentor and as, as what are you doing I just want to talk from my heart I don't want to put on records I just want to get vulnerable can I finish of my course, statement of course I respect you I, I think you do other things besides respect me. Hey, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Ah! It's just hard for me to control my passion. I'm a very passionate person. We're from New York. You understand this. He, he goes ice fishing in the Midwest. That was told to you in confidence. He's an ice fishing guy. Look at him. What are you doing? It's not you. It's not you with a gun. Stop it. Don't do something you don't know anything about, all right? Wait, wait, wait. Do not load that gun! I'm not even going to hit you. Um, certainly, certainly the the most side boob I've seen in a movie in years between Amy Adams and, Jen, and, oh, and Jennifer Lawrence. But yeah, <laughs> Adams is just on another level of, of tease in this movie. Um, but the the... The performances, top to bottom, from from Bale to Cooper to uh, Renner, and and the two girls, is is just phenomenal. Um, for me, a little bit of the ending, a little bit of the of the the context around the narrative got a little jumbled, got a little confusing. That's why I need to see it again to try to to reconcile some of that. Um, but but certainly uh, visually impressive. I love I love the shit that sort of. 70s 80s vibe to it i love that era of mm -hmm. cinema and i thought russell captured a lot of that really really well it's it's a beautiful film to arguably the best soundtrack that came out of last loved year loved it minus seeing lewin davis which i know is going to be awesome right um but certainly you know you certainly capturing ca capturing some of that 70s 80s vibe the the transition from classic rock to disco era yeah. and stuff like that certainly is uh is is awesome um yeah but for me uh, it falls right now as seven might move higher ultimately uh, after another viewing but uh, i will say it moved up on my second viewing yeah uh, things that i thought were plot holes weren't plot holes anymore because they actually spelled them out it's just not as plainly as you thought they were yeah all right so my uh Number six is going to be the last of my ten pole films. 
This is the movie that followed up the Avengers right, and that's Thor the fucking Dark World. This is the, the, the movie that should have come out in the summer. This is what Iron Man 3 should have been. This was the fitting follow-up to the Avengers. Thor the Dark World was a great story. They used the character right. They brought the funny when need be. And yes, they we are out of fear, and this is a problem. Mm-hmm. But they also left the story in a way that we can continue on. It, that The problem that Marvel has built themselves into here is now everything's going to play towards the Avengers films, which I get. I think that the Iron Man 3 film didn't do a good job of that at all. They're stuck where they're at right now. Thor, on the other hand, you can pick up and go whatever direction you want. They took a chance and killed off a major character, if you want to call her a major character, and Frigga, however, it's the mother. You, you moved the character along, you moved the story along, you gave an entertaining story, you gave Loki, which people love, Tom Hiddleston is Loki, a great story arc to work with, and you gave a fitting end to Loki, or at least end for now. Because we know he's not in Avengers 2, thankfully. So, Thor The Dark World, albeit a tentpole movie, to me was one of the best times I had in the box office all year. So it's my number six. No, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like I said, out of, out of all the tentpoles, that, the Star Trek and Hunger Games catching fire were, were ones that I walked away with. Yeah, Hunger Games is a great movie. They um, did a great job with that one. Which, are, which I walked away with feeling satisfied. My number six, however, uh, another film that I know you haven't seen yet, but I encourage you to, from a director whose stuff I've enjoyed pretty much consistently, uh, Nebraska. There's Woody's little sister, Rose. She was only 19 when she was killed in a car wreck near Wassa. What a whore. Huh. No, I like Rose, but my God, she was a slut. Come on. Now, I'm just telling you the truth. Where's your family? Oh, they're over in the Catholic cemetery. Catholics wouldn't be caught dead around all these damn Lutherans. Here's Delmer, Woody's cousin. He was a drunk. One time we were wrestling and he felt me up. Grabbed a handful of boob and Woody was right there and didn't have a clue, did you, Woody? Um, I want to see it New Year's Day. Incredible performances by uh, Bruce Dern and June Squibb. Uh, adequate performances by uh, uh, Will Forte and uh, Bob Odenkirk, of all people. Um, shot in black and white, which is was an interesting choice, but it feels so authentic. Because you're talking about this Midwest <clears throat> Midwestern uh, family drama... About this guy who think he who basically gets one of those publishers clearing house things in the mail saying you've won a million dollars and such come there whatever to this mail into there and claim your prize and of course when you read all the fine print you know you didn't but he thinks he did he's getting a little long in the tooth he's getting a little senile and the the son played by Will Forte just says all right you know what fuck it. Get in the car. I'll just drive you there because he doesn't want to claim this through the mail because he's distrustful of the postal service and all that stuff. And Bruce Stern just plays typical crotchety old Midwestern old man who's just set in his ways. He's willing to walk to freaking Nebraska to claim his prize. 
and he finally gets in the car with the son, and they go, and basically son finds a lot out about his old man, and, and it ties in a lot of, of douchebags who, once they find out that you may have come into a little money, find out who your friends are, who your friends are not, family included, and it's just it just plays out so well, and just that whole blue-collar, Midwestern, Americana vibe is served so well by the fact that he did this in black and white, and it's never a distraction. It just feels very, very authentic. The performances elevate this to just just brilliance. Um, and you're talking about the same guy who's behind Sideways and Descendants and things like that. Um, and, and it plays off great. So Nebraska, for me, is number six. Can't wait to see it again. All right. So the top fives. Well, best mine, five of the year. Mine, and we've already discussed this one at a pretty good length, Mud. Now, I like you two boys. You remind me of me. Seeing as how you two is from Arkansas, and we know some of the same people, and we grew up in some of the same places, I reckon we can make a deal for something. A deal for what? Food. Food for a boat. He's a bum, Ellis. Come on. Why don't you go get your own food? Well, I would if I could. See, I told somebody I'd meet him here, so... Well, I'm stuck for now, and what I got's running low. He's a bum, Ellis. Come on. I ain't no bum. I got money, boy. You can call me a hobo, because a hobo will work for his living. You can call me homeless, because... Well, that's true for now. But you call me a bum again, I'm going to teach you something about respect your daddy never did. Hmm. Mud to me Higher was, than I was expected. such a, but it's the gorgeousness that worked for me. It, it was, looks wise to me, it was arguably the most beautiful film I saw all year. And, and capturing again, just the life of the, of the Southeast through the bayous, through the, the, the poverty and the struggle. Mud just was a beautiful film. And it also captured that little piece that the Kings of Summer did with me. And that's, it's these kids that stumble upon this. Yeah. And to them, this is their, I don't want to say existence, but it's their quest. Mm -hmm. And it gives them a reason for existing. Otherwise, all they've got is the shit around them. Mud was a beautiful film, both physically, visually, well, both. Uh, three ways, physically, visually, and just emotionally. And I, it, it is one of the most complete film experiences I had all year. Um, yeah, I, uh, it's interesting when you talk about when you were kids and how the perception of things is so different from the eyes of a kid, from a, a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old. And, and I look at things that I did back then, and... and it, and, and I don't know, I, I, I've been sitting around thinking a lot lately about how... About your friend Neckbone? Well, <laughs> yeah, <coughs> that, but <laughs> but just how, I don't know, how, how cynical we've become as we've gotten older. And how you damn kids and, and stuff, and how each generation, it just has their own way of dealing with the next generation of stuff. And it's no different, really. I mean, yeah, the the, the, the things we deal with on a daily basis have changed or, or whatever. But ultimately, 
I look back when I was that age, and it wouldn't have thought anything. It's like, you know what? The quickest way to get from this side of the block to the next side of the block is not to walk around the block. It's to climb over cut this through this door. guy's yard, over this guy's fence, climb on this guy's roof, and jump off. And if What's, they told you not to do it, you just look to see if they aren't there, yes, and you fucking do it. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm thinking about this stuff. <laughs> And, and I'm thinking about how many times I just did that yep. stuff, not thinking about it, not thinking one bit about some crotchety old bastard who's going to jump out and yell at me because I'm walking up his driveway and through his thing. But now I'm sitting here at, at 47 years old thinking, like, if I see a kid walk through my yard, I'm going to be fucking all over the shit. And mm -hmm. it's no different than what we did as kids and things like that. We're... Where we enjoyed the fact where on garbage night we could walk through the streets of, of of where we grew up and start picking through people's shit in their front lawns. And we're not even thinking about the fact of what we're doing. We're not thinking about the repercussions or who we're pissing off or who we're inconveniencing. And now it's a whole different perspective. And, and, and it's really no different. Um, so, yeah, I think... Movies like Mud and The Kings of Summer will will make you stop and think about that stuff a little bit more. Mud, the acting was owned by Matthew McConaughey, but sure. the story of around the kids mm -hmm. was just fantastic. Yeah, and 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 that it captured that magic of being well, a child. Also a, about uh, being a child in our era, right? When you could do that type of stuff without having to panic over. Who's out there stealing your mm -hmm. kid or doing something bad to your kid and stuff? Things that today you would never even dream of allowing yeah. your kid of that age to go do. My kid's 18. She's a fucking adult. If she wanted to walk out of here today and say, fuck you, she could do that mm -hmm. legally and I couldn't do anything about it. But yet I will still sit here and stress out from her just walking from here to her karate studio a quarter mile down the road. Because I know she's going to pass a couple of sketchy hotels and, and things like that. And, and those are just the things that we didn't worry about back in that day that we that are, are so ingrained in ourselves today. Isn't it crazy that 30 years we've become a different world? Oh, God, it's crazy. It's all but scary. We talk about how great technology makes things. I argue that maybe it doesn't in every case. Yeah. Maybe we would be better off today without the Facebooks and the Twitters and yeah. all this kind of stuff. It, it, because it's just, it's, we don't live in the same world, and I don't necessarily know that we live in a better world. No. Imagination There are more conveniences gone, now. That's it. Right, which is only serving to make us more lazy and more irresponsible, yeah. and and we're just not... We t we take no accountability for anything anymore. Right. And and it quite frankly it's sickening to some degree. Yeah. And it's sad. But anyway, that was a soapbox moment. Yeah. Huh? No, but that yeah. that's you captured mud. Right. Good. Uh, what was that? Your number five. That was my number five. My number five. Man, I've seen this flick three times now, and it gets better every time I see it. It's it's the wrap up to the Cornetto trilogy. It, for me, it was the best comedy of the year, and it just gets better and better on every viewing. It's Edgar Wright's The World's End. Mm. Oh, fuck's sake, Gary, take a hint. 
It's all right. I'm not trying to have sex with you. Why are we in the disabled toilets then? There's something I need to tell you right now. Unless you do want to have sex, in which case I'll tell you afterwards. Tell me right now. Have you noticed anything creepy about the twins, apart from the fact that they're twins? Just because they're twins doesn't automatically make them creepy. It does a little bit. You had sex with them. A, I did not. And B, how did you know about that? A, it's a small town. B, I'm not stupid. And C, they told me. Right. Well, I did once, but I was wasted, which was creepy because it was like there's four of them. I'm not proud of it. I am a bit. Is this what you wanted to tell me? No. This is. It, it is just a perfect bookend to Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, and, and you throw in uh, Morgan, uh, Martin Freeman and Patty Considine, and, and everything just, this is just hilarious. And I, damn it if I don't want a marmalade sandwich right now. <laughs> well, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A pint and a marmalade sandwich would go really good right We now. do need to do our own freaking... I absolutely... Uh, I think that's, that is a goal for 2014. We need to, to find a, a... Portland pub crawl. Yeah, we, it, it, we'll find a hotel that we can lock down for the night or whatever else. Well, what's scary about this whole thing is I'm not sure that, that 12 pints does a whole lot to us <laughs> anymore over the course of a night, but... Yeah, I think it would depend... Yeah. Uh, yeah, because they they did it over the entire. It was an entire night, right? It was they didn't a give night. themselves it was a 12, like a three hour period night, because they right. started like they they got out of school and yep. they hit the thing. Yep. And they yeah, and I don't know. We'd have to do some good rules around it. Sure. We but yeah, we could do this. We'd have to try. Oh, absolutely. Re-rise and oh, there's there's easily twelve bars to be hit. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll map that out. Maybe we, maybe we, maybe we think about hitting that around uh, St. Paddy's Day or something. Oh fuck yeah! Do a do a pub crawl, the Portland pub crawl. Um, yeah, the world's end for me was just was just brilliant. And the more times movie. you see it, the better it gets. I've seen it twice. I enjoyed it more the second time. It's, yep. it's a fantastic film. Yep. That's my number five. All right. My number four is the way way back. Does your mom know you work here? No. Oh. Nice. Please report to the Administrative Office International. Duncan, please report to the Administrative Office International. I have to announce this over the PA. As my voice won't carry that far, my throat suffered major damages during an intense makeout session with Lewis's mom. She has a forked tongue and a touch of the herpes. I don't have a mom. I have two dads. In your face. Hurry. Hurry. Please. Hurry up. This is pressing, pressing, urgent, urgent. I can't tell you how pressing. You can't fathom how pressing. How's it going? What's up? Does he need something? No. <laughs> Who's that big guy? I don't know. She's older than me. So what are you doing over here talking to us and not over there sealing the deal with that cougar? Well, maybe, Roddy, if you guys hadn't called me over here. Oh. <laughs> Return to your lady friend. Duncan, please return to your lady friend. Please let her know that this conversation was entirely about her. In other news, this is very awkward for you. And, and for the reasons we've discussed, and the Kings of Summer also grabbed the same reason. It, it, it captured the awkwardness of youth, which, let's be honest, I definitely suffered through the awkwardness of youth. But... The other film the thing the film captured was that that little piece of family and what family really is that works for me and I, uh, Tony Collette is just 
fantastic in this film. And Stacey, very frustrating character. She is, but I can appreciate where she's coming from, and she's supposed to be that that housewife who, whose husband has left her, left her with the kid, and what's she to do? She finds this guy, Steve Carell, who talk about a playing a character totally out of his normal cast type, sure, and, and but great. And, and and how does she go on with it? And I love the fact that in this movie, everything comes around. And, and not necessarily, <coughs> excuse me, gets, signed, gets tied right up a nice little bow. Because it doesn't necessarily end up with a happy ending. But it ends up with the family ending. Mm-hmm. That all that matters in the end is their blood. And that's what works for me. Add the Sam Rockwell piece, and he probably won't get an Oscar nom. Well, but any Jesus of the characters Christ, around the Waterwoods Park. It was oh, even uh, what's her putts Maya from Rudolph. It was fantastic. Jim Rash, yeah. It, 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 everything around Waterwoods itself was mm-hmm. fantastic. The movie is a great movie. Not enough people have seen it. I highly recommend seeing it. I've seen it three times. Mm-hmm. It's it's great every time you watch it. Uh, the Way Way Back is easily my number four favorite film of the year. Right. My number four... Yeah, this one's going to come out of left field on you. This one here you're not going to see uh, coming at all. Um, my number four is Saving Mr. Banks. Give it a whirl. What's happening? What are you doing? Ladies and gents, comical poem suitable for the occasion, extemporized and sold up before your very eyes. All right, here we go. Room here for everyone, gather around. Constable's responsible. Now, how does that sound? No, 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 no. Responsible is not a word. We made it up. Well, unmake it up. Um, and this one here may may be propelled a little bit about my because of my affiliation with the whole Disney thing. After having worked there for nine years, there's certainly a lot of uh, we'll say Easter eggs in there for for fans of Disney, for people who understand what Disney was about and stuff like that. Um, this is certainly Emma Thompson's vehicle to drive. Yes, Tom Hanks plays Disney, but he is really a secondary character to Emma Thompson in this whole thing. Um, And Tom Hanks pulls this off without much of that whole, "Ah, I'm watching Tom Hanks try to be Walt Disney thing here. Tom Hanks has had a very good year between Captain Phillips and this because in both roles I've been able to separate the man from the character. And I was able to do that here. And a lot of it may be to the fact that it was really Emma Thompson's vehicle. And it's basically about P.L. Travers, the author of the Mary Poppins books, and her reluctance to sell the rights to that to Walt Disney because she felt that he was going to pretty much bastardize her material for, for his own profit and stuff like that. Which really wasn't the case. And it's about her coming to Los Angeles from England 
Uh, and then there's this 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 side story throughout this whole thing that they keep cutting back to, uh, which we learn is her as a child, and Colin Farrell as her alcoholic father, and things that... It, it, what we see on the surface of Emma Tom Thompson's character is just this complete bitch who's prim and proper and just unreasonable and, and, and completely hard to work with. But as, as you keep going back to these scenes of her childhood, you begin to understand her and you begin to understand why she is the way she is today. Um, and how Mary Poppins is so personal to her because it's a character she made to sort of reconcile within herself everything she dealt with as a child. And how Walt Disney only wanted to, to give her the very best of that experience. And it really, really plays out just absolutely fantastically. Every time you think that maybe it's just going to get, just cross that threshold into a little bit too much sentimental, sugary sweetness, it pulls itself back and, and really, really shows a lot of heart and, and, and meaning in, inside the story. Um, it, it absolutely wonderful flick. Very, you know, very... Uh, I don't know, melancholy-ish, but, but still very well executed from start to finish. Loved every bit of it. Saving Mr. Banks. All right. Well, I won't spend a whole lot of time discussing this because we already have. American Hustle is my number three. Right. <clears throat> when I first saw it, I was going to put it five, six. American Hustle in the second viewing, it, it's an all-but-perfect film. Uh, any plot holes you think are there, when you watch it again, you find out that they weren't there. They laid things right out for you. The acting, as we've already discussed, is absolutely top-notch. Th that snapshot of the 70s is just perfect. They get the sound right. They get the look right. They get the feel right. David O. Fincher is just... David O. Russell. Uh, I say Fincher, yeah. David O. Russell is just... He's on top of his game. This is three years in a row that he's d delivered a perfect film. Uh, all but perfect film. I, I don't know where he can go from here. Um, I'm also afraid of if he's going to go on from here, is he going to find different actors or actresses? Because clearly he's found the ones he likes working with. Yeah. <clears throat> and And... It's pretty obvious that they're willing to give anything for him. Amy Adams' performance in American Russell, American Russell, American Hustle, is just, she's a long way from the Muppets here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And will she get some Oscar love? I don't know. Uh, she did for the fighter. Did she win it? No. Uh, I, I kind of liked her in that over Melissa Leo. Here, I definitely think she is arguably the strongest point. However, it's hard to argue Christian Bale in his role. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's it, Everything here is just a, a great film, a great story. It's so well told. Uh, American Hustle is my third favorite movie of the year. Right on. My number three is one that you will hear many people say is probably the most important film of the year. 
Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that. It's certainly, certainly the most <coughs> mesmerizing yet uncomfortable I've been in a movie in a long time. Um, buoyed by the performances uh, from people who you don't typically associate with great performances on screen. Yeah. 12 Years a Slave it's, is one of those ones that will just stick with you. It's my number two. Over and over, yeah. which tells me I know what your number one is, yeah, um, which is going to be my number two. Um, it, it's just, Oja 4 is just incredible. It, it's just otherworldly. It's very Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln-ish, kind of like he is. he has put himself into this role so much that you just can't you can't deny him the greatness that, that he brings to this role I went to Master Charles Plantation you admit it yes freely and you know why I got this from Mrs. Shaw Mrs. Zepps won't even grab me no soap to clean with I stink so much I make myself gay And then you throw in side characters with uh, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Sarah Paulson, Michael Fassbender. The only weird thing was Brad Pitt, just because it's like it's like it all just of felt us, like he tacked oh, himself watching, on as producer. You're watching this all of a sudden. I was like, "Whoa, it's Brad Pitt!" Yeah, and what strangely, the he's Brad? the voice of yeah. reason yeah. as the producer. <laughs> the that was that was the troublesome piece. But of some me. of the cinematography of this film and watching that scene. And it will it will end up on certainly end up on my uh, article for for best film scenes of the year of the hanging or the hanging of um, what the hell was this, the character's name I can't even remember it um, yeah Platt yeah that's um, it well that's what they thought his name was was Platt right right right, right. the uh, runaway Solomon slave Northup. Platt Solomon Northup is uh, his character's name. But that whole thing, and it lingers, and it drags, and it lingers, and it, it doesn't serve to come... It, it's not like you're sitting there going, get on with it, all right, we've seen it and stuff. It just gets more uncomfortable it and more It was the constant atrocious. reminder, this is just a piece, uh, a yeah. piece of property yeah. hanging here. And it, only one slave dared to even go near him yeah. to give him any water. And right. that was it. And this was a slave that was held in high regard yes. by his owner. Yeah. But he couldn't be bothered to come out and deal with it quite yet. Now, it lands on number three on my list. And, and it's only, be, again, because I think movies are subjective. And I think certain things just sort of, I don't know, your reaction to them is a little bit different. Other things. I certainly think this was the, uh, from what I've seen, is the best film of the year. Um, if I if if you gave me a ballot right now and asked me to pick who should win the Oscar for Best Picture of the Year, I'm picking Twelve Years. Yeah, I have no issue with that. It's third on my list because I have two films that just sort of affected me differently. Um, but but I can't sit here and tell you they were better films. 
but certainly just a, a, a different experience walking out of the theater seeing 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, no, and like I said, like I told you, the, the only knock I've had with 12 Years a Slave is I don't necessarily know they did a great job of storytelling across the fact that it was 12 years. I don't think they did a great job of depicting that. That the 12 Years a Slave, the only reason you buy that is 12 years is because it's in the title. And ultimately, I don't know that it matters. It, 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 it doesn't. And I know they're using a, a source work also as the basis. And not having read that source work, that could very well be the way it was delivered. And that's fine. Um, and if that's my only knock, again, it falls as my number two here. So clearly it's not really a knock in my mind. Right. So... Which means when I get to number two here is I'm going to steal your thunder on number one. Um, certainly, certainly the movie that left me the most slack-jawed after I saw and ex- it. And flat-out exhausted emotionally, <laughs> physically. It, just, it, it has, much in the way I thought, now say what you will about the actual narrative of the film, but certainly the way you walked out of Avatar four or five years ago. And said that James Cameron has just raised the bar to a different level yeah. with 3D technology. Yeah. I think we can say the same thing about Alfonso Cuaron. From a visual perspective, there is a new bar. Yes. Um, th- this yeah, Avatar has been bested here. This is just visually the most impressive thing we could even, that we've ever seen. And we're talking about gravity. Mm-hmm. Just you know, it, the performances aside, because the performances are take they take a side seat, they take a back seat to the visuals here. I have only seen this once. I'm afraid to see it again. I don't know that I want to see this on my television because I don't know if that's going to ruin the experience. As somebody who's seen it twice, I required the second viewing to still be in 3D. I will not say, I, I refuse to see this movie again as a rental in my living room. It will not play out the same. And people whose first viewing is to rent this thing have done themselves. And movies 
a serious disservice. I, I just, yeah, it, we saw, I saw it in the eye. You saw it second time, not in IMAX, though, right? Right. It had already left IMAX. That did it? Time. Did it work? It did work. Not as well. IMAX was far more immersing. However, the 3D is still the 3D, and it's the best 3D I've seen this side of Avatar. Yeah, the IMAX thing for me is just because this is so visually stunning, and the IMAX experience, you you weren't watching a movie about people in space. You were in space. Yes, you, were. you were floating there you with these people. You were in their hopeless situation. Yes. And, and it was hopeless not just on the fact that their ship had exploded, but they themselves were broken. Mm-hmm. And you were seeing everything they saw through their eyes. And the little attention to detail, right down to when she finds her way in, into the, I don't remember if it was the Russian ship or not, and the little flame that floats across. And it was just a beautiful film. And you made the comment, and it caught me so well about how it, it such a great little point towards childbirth and rebirth that when she gets inside the first ship and she sheds off her spacesuit, it was, it was right in the fetal position. And the first shot she has in the end shot is her stepping up and, and walking away. It, it was a full experience in every single sense you had. Gravity was a complete film. Yeah. In, in every way. And I think that the trailers, which this is going to sound crazy, the trailers to me did a, dis, a, a total disservice because they made it look like it was a film while somebody just totally adrift. Yeah. That's not what this movie was. No. It was a movie coming to grips with the fact that they were going to die and they had sorrows and they needed to come to grips with it and they needed to decide what was most important to them and what they wanted to cling to. And that was what Gravity was. Gravity was a perfect film in my mind. I will see it again only to see if, if my theory is true or not. Uh, whether or not this can be enjoyed cinematically on yeah, I a 46-inch television. I don't know. On 3D. We'll, we'll see. Uh, my number one, and I know that was your number one. Yeah, uh, my number one is, again, it's it's a movie that just sticks with me every time I see it. Um, certainly it's not the best movie of the year, but for me it's my favorite experience. It's the way, way back. Um, which I've watched again. Uh, I watched it again actually last night. Um, and I want to spend my summer there. Yeah. I want to spend my summer in this beach house Throwing back beers and margaritas and hanging out with people and going to hang out at Waterwiz. It, it, it's everything I wanted. I want the cross-eyed pirate little yes. buddy. <laughs> He's yes. awesome. I want to play Pac-Man in some open-air freaking burger yeah. joint. <clears throat> everything I want. And the performances just elevate it. it it's, it's just, for me, a perfect film. It is. It, it's just so much fun to deal with. I even love the little argument where where he looks at Sam Rockwell's Owen and says, you know, there's a pattern on Pac-Man. And Rockwell gets yeah. all disgusted. Right. Right. You can live by the pattern if you want. Or you can just do what the fuck you want yes. and hope it works. Yes. And that's his character. Yeah. It was such a 
brilliant little piece, a little one-off line that so encapsulated that film. The Way Way Back is a fantastic movie. People need to get hip to this film. Yep, I agree. So there's our top ten. Holy God. Minus uh, Lewin Davis and for and you, for minus me, Wolf of Wall Street. And presuming Spectacular would, Now. Yeah, presuming those would, would make your make your top ten. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, just another great, great year for just independent film and stuff like that. It's just, just fun stuff watching. And there's still some other little indies that I need to catch up with that I know I'll like. It won't come anywhere near my top ten. You know, drinking mm-hmm. buddies, I want to see. And that was pretty good. Yeah, things like that. Short, that zero short term, I just, I've already referenced. I enjoyed Fruit short term station. I want to see you know, her. I want to see. Yep. So I actually even want to see uh, August Osage County. Yeah. Um, you know, I, as much as I don't like Julia Roberts and Meryl Streep. I can't deny that that, that this movie looks entertaining. And that's one of those movies that's another one that there are people that really love it, and there are people that are on the other end saying, eh. Yeah. But that's what makes going to the movies fun. Right. We get to discuss them like this. So we'll wrap this up here before we get into just an obscene amount of time. Um, That's the (laughs) end. That's the end of 2013 as we know it. Uh, We'll come back again in 2014. And we're kicking around uh, about doing some director-centric stuff here. And we're talking right. about, because Lewin Davis is targeted to show up here around January 10th. Because we live in Maine, which yeah. is the outer existence of reality. Right. Um, and we're talking about seeing Lewin Davis there and then maybe doing something around the Coen Brothers filmography at that point. Um you know, I, I know the new Paranormal Activity, the Marked Ones, shows up for them. I know Her shows up the same day as Lewin Davis. So we'll have some other stuff, I think, to talk about. Right. Um, but uh, and, and maybe we'll, we'll dive into a what we're looking forward to the most in 2014. All right. So that's it. 2013, lights out. Have a great new year, all. Late. Late.